Uh, where do we even start, Ben? Yeah, well, I, I, I was actually kind of optimistic we could just avoid watch discussion. Um, Possibly. I don't know. Well, well, then that article dropped today. But yeah. uh, I, it's, it's almost like at this point, it's like I just want it's it, I just want it to come out and then let's talk about it. Um, but but no, uh, a- Apple via Wired had to drop a sack of turd on the front porch. So we're recording on Thursday, April 2nd. Show's probably going to come out tomorrow, Friday. Um, so we're still in this like void between three weeks ago was this event. Three weeks from now is when real people will start getting to watch. We're still a full week away from the watch even being in stores for people to look at with their own eyes, right? Like right now, 99.9999% of people who are interested in Apple Watch have not seen one in person. Right. Right? I mean, it's you, you go out a lot of nines on that. I got No, it totally. Um, yep. It's only been at the two events. Right. Well, I guess no, because people are wearing them in public, I guess. But they, Combined they with employees. But I'm sure, though, and even people who glance it on employees with testing units out in the wild, um, you can do that. But I'm sure that if you say, hey, is that an Apple Watch, that they'll say yes. But then I'm sure that this, they've got like a standard reply that's more or less, but I can't show it to you. And so they're yeah, not allowed I, to I like. That's exactly right. They're not allowed to let people examine it. Um, but. It's interesting. Like to me, I've and I've been talking about it in the last few weeks. Is why in the world would Apple schedule things this way? And I think that the article today is part why. I think that they wanted, they didn't want the cycle like with a regular revision where it's event, next week reviews, two days later go buy it. Right, like this ten day cycle of most of their, you know, uh, what would you call it? flagship products. You right. know, new iPhones come out on an event on a usually a Monday or Tuesday. Uh, then the reviews come out a week later, and then like on a Wednesday, I think usually usually Tuesday yep. or Wednesday, and then Fridays are always the day where people who've pre-ordered will get theirs delivered, and stores will have them, and people can line up. It's like a you know. 10-day cycle, 11-day cycle. The watch is way off of that. And I can only guess that it's because they want to fill that space between last month's event and this month's release with a drumbeat, a steady drumbeat of stuff, promotional stuff. You know, Good Morning America, TV, now this, and Wired. So today, tell tell me, what's the article we're talking about? So Wired uh, dropped this article uh, entitled "iPhone Killer: The Secret History of the Apple Watch," um, and uh, David Pierce uh, wrote an article um, where he clearly got clearly, you know, blessed by Apple PR. He talked talked to people at Apple. He spent a lot of time uh, with with the human interface designers. Uh, Day, his name, I, I can't find his name right. Alan Die, Alan Die, um, and and. Uh, with any of these pieces, and this is kind of the 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 trouble with posting them is you you don't know like to w- what extent what is coming from Apple, um, what's coming from the spin that PR is giving him, and then what if it what if it's coming from from Pierce. Um, but the the kind of overarching theme of the article is that the the real goal of the watch is to make you not need your iPhone so much, 
and it's focused on the notifications and the idea that will free you from your phone. Um, I would say I would I, I'm going to interrupt and I'm going to subtly tweak that and say that it's not so much that you don't need your iPhone, but that it it because it, it's all coming from the phone, right? right? It all only works if you're in Bluetooth range of the phone. So it's more like uh, a dashboard to your phone. Well, I think it's 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 more like because they talked about like like Winch talked about in the article. He talked to Kevin Lynch. Um, the idea of like you can be playing with your kids and you can get a notification and uh, you can glance at it and realize it's not that important. You can keep doing what you're doing. You're not actually pulling out your pocket and filling with it right. and all that sort of stuff, which which is hardly a, a, a new thesis. It's interesting that this seems to be the the story that Apple is choosing to tell. But um, I mean, frankly, I think that. Uh, um, oh, and by the way, I think that they said at the event that the watch will work on your home Wi-Fi network. Um but I, I, I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, I think that but, that's only, but it's only, I, again, I cannot, I'm not 100% sure. But I'm 99% sure that all that means, though, is, I, I think you're correcting me, that as long as your your phone and your watch are on the same Wi-Fi network. Right, exactly. Even if Bluetooth is out of range. Right. right yeah, right. that's, I do, yeah, that's correct. So, so when you, they can, say you that, can set your phone down like on the front next to the front door or next to your bed and you can go around the house and your watch will have full still have full functionality. Right. Right. And that the idea there and it sounds great is that you can, you know, if you need to charge your phone or whatever, you can do it and, you know, go watch TV two floors away from where it's charging and you're not you're not going to be out of touch from notifications you're expecting. Right. Exactly. And that's why I just I looked it up that, that that's exactly what it is. So um yeah, so I think I think you're probably you're probably right. And if you think about the other, you know, app, because you have to think of this not in terms of a normal Apple launch, but a, an Apple new product launch. And it was the case uh, with particularly the iPhone, but also the iPad, that there was a big break between the introduction and and the actual yes. unveiling of the device. In the case of the iPhone, there was a second event as well. There was right. there WWDC. was exactly exactly. Which was a good three weeks um, before before the phone as well. Um, so yeah, so I think big picture you're probably right. Um, but I think this art, frankly, I think this article is a is a PR disaster. <laughs> I I would not go that far, but I uh, I don't think it was good. Yeah, well, the, the, I mean, the killer line, which is already all over Twitter and stuff, is is this idea that Apple. Um, decide they want to do a watch and they fi- had to figure out what, what it was for, which kind of um, confirms the worst suspicions that people people had about the watch um, in a in a in a you know just a very sort of non not subtle way, a very blunt blunt sort of way. And and you know, of course, like I said, you don't know what the balance is between Apple PR and, and what Apple employees said and um and what what Pierce came up with, but um where is it, that it, line? It, 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 it sounds bad. Where is that line? I can't find um, it. Let me find it. It, it, it. It's pretty close to the top. Maybe I don't have the floor. Apple decided to make a watch and only then set out to discover what it might be good for besides, you know, displaying the time. Um, it's on one of these terrible web pages that has, like, the pictures and the text scrolling on top of it, which, like, theoretically looks good but drives me up the wall. Yeah, it's... You know what? I read it on my phone, and it was actually really good. Like the is much better on the phone. Yeah, yep. I just same here. And now I'm looking at it in a desktop browser, and it's a disaster for reading, in my opinion. 
Yeah, so there's there's two parts. The first one is that first there's a big A at the top. Apple decided to make a watch only then sell to discover to discover what it might be good for. Um, and then there's another line about Johnny Ive. I've began dreaming about an Apple Watch just after CEO Steve Jobs' death in October 2011. Da 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 da. Uh, and then is basically like um, insinuating that I've yeah hor- I've began a deep investigative horology. Studying how reading the position of the sun, da, 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 horology became an obsession. The obsession became a product. Along the way, the Apple team went upon the watch reason to talk. It came down to this, da, da, da. and that then you get the phone is ruining your wife, which um, I, I definitely presume is, is Pierce's kind of summary of it. But like, it doesn't matter. This is on Apple, and they're the one that's orchestrated this. And like I said, the problem is it's really feeding into all the worst uh, or the most pessimistic kind of conceptions about the watch yeah the line is pierce's it's not a quote yeah here's the this is just prose from pierce apple decided to make a watch and only then set out to discover what it might be good for parentheses besides you know displaying the time um which is a weird thing to to put in parentheses because who says that it has to that telling the time has to be a primary function. Right. No, and this is the, the, the thing is, is like, what's funny is, um, I <laughs> like the, the, the next sentence actually very much fits my feeling about the watch. And, and I, I think, I don't remember if I said this on the podcast. I think I've said it to you, to you before. Um, well, the quote is there was a sense. This is a quote. There was a sense that technology was going to move onto the body says Alan die who runs Apple's inner, human interface group. We felt like the natural place, the place that had historical relevant significance was the wrist. So, uh, I mean, that's, that's my whole thesis for the watch as well. Like it's the natural progression of, of technology. I, I mean, it keeps getting smaller and keeps getting more personal. And where do you go from the phone? Like the, the watch just seems the, the obvious place to go. And, you know, I think the history of technology shows that personal and convenience and, uh, trumps anything. And that's what, and that actually is the reason to be, to be bullish. The problem is it wasn't, it's a subtle, it's a, it's a subtle point that requires putting it in kind of historical context of technology and the way things, way things move and the way things will go over time. Like what happens when the watch has cellular radios, for example. Um, and either Apple didn't do a good job of setting up that framing for Pierce or, or he ignored it. But, but the fact of the matter is I actually think that's exactly right. But like, but it it doesn't sound good. That's why it's a PR disaster. I have to go meta on the story before we talk about, I think there is a lot to talk about here with this feature story, but I have to go meta first about the story as opposed to the watch and the team and the decisions, you know, and I'm going to get this out of the way. I feel like I have to clear the decks is that it's uh, complaining about the, the way that it's written is petty and catty, but that's how we writers are. And there's a part of this where I think, Holy shit, I could have done a much better job. If they would have given me a full day with Lynch and die and let me talk to them on the record extensively, I could have done a much better job. And I, I honest, that's, that is, that's what, as I'm reading the story, that's what I thought. And I got to the bottom and, uh, I thought, wow, this, they picked the wrong guy to, to give this access to. Like, to me, this was very, this is a very lightweight article. 
Did you ever get one of those? Uh, there's a, a steakhouse in Philly uh, that has these great, when you get the bread before your meal, they're really big. And it looks like, holy shit, well, I could never eat that. This, this like muffin type bread thing. And then you open it up, you open it up and there's nothing in the inside. Right. You know, it's like, yep. it's actually not a lot of bread. It's like some kind of thing that puffs up and like a, a you know, like a, more like a pastry than bread. That's what this article was like to me. It's very empty. Um, part of it, though, here's the thing that I think is part of it, is look at the timing of it. It came out today. It looks like, you know, it's pretty, I don't know how, many, how long it is, but it sounds to me like he got this access to, to lynch and die sometime after the event last month, but probably a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it, it it wasn't it wasn't yesterday. It's or thirty five hundred words. Yeah, so at least or at least a week ago. I mean, I think it would be at least a week, maybe more. But some, you know. But anyway, I and who knows? Maybe he did, but it certainly doesn't sound. And 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 Pierce never says. Here's the thing: Pierce never says in here that he's had the watch, that he himself is you know got access to one, and it doesn't read like a review in any way. Um. So I'm guessing he didn't. I mean, I'm sure that they had, you know, you, you know, that he got to see de demos from the watches that Lynch and Die and others were wearing, and that they had demo units similar to the ones that were at the event, etc. But he didn't get he he doesn't have firsthand experience of what it's like to use the watch. So how do you write this story? Like, so on the one hand, I think I could have done this better, but on the other hand, even if they had offered it to me, I don't see how I could have accepted it unless they gate let me use the watch for a week first, so that I'd have a frame of reference. Like how do you yeah. how do you talk to the two people and and you know the the two maybe they're the only two sources he has on the record but Die is the user interface point person for the watch um, or they say for all of Apple's human interface group but led the you know the team that did the watch interface and Lynch was in charge of the software team that implemented yep. the designs. Um, so how I don't understand how you have a, a, the best possible. Um, interview with those two unless you are familiar with the product that they're talking about so i i just you know i understand why apple might want an article coming out before you know the pre-orders to keep the hype level up but it's to me a waste of time so on the one hand i wish that they'd pick me to write it or ask me to write it but on the other hand there's no way i would have accepted it unless i had first-hand experience with the watch because i'd feel like i'm going in blind yeah, well, that's why, and, and you're right. Saying a PR disaster is a little a little strong, but it, because who knows how much is going to break through? But the, the the this is why I I place. That's one of the many reasons why I place. I, I think this article reflects poorly on Apple's Apple's communications team, and, and the reason is, is a few things. One, the reasons you just articulated, right? Like if if it is an like. One, maybe they did pick the wrong guy. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know David Pierce. I, he has a great reputation. So, um, you know, I, it, but you're right. He was put in a difficult position by having to write about something that he, you're right. I agree. It seems like he hasn't used. Um, two, uh, two, like there's, there's, there's a certain art to messaging something and, and origin stories and things like that. And, and, it might be true that uh, Apple decided to do a watch and then figured out, but I would also bet that Apple decided to do a phone and then figured out what it would do as well. Yeah, like there's like the, the thing. What the thing about this thing that everyone's latching onto is, if you actually think about it, it's not really that controversial. Like, yeah. um, 
that, that that's how that's how products like this like products like this are developed. Um, you, but the, you that's not how you necessarily tell the story. The way you told right. the phone story was we all hated our phones, so we wanted to do something better, right? And that that was the line, and everyone remembers that. Everyone remembers you know Steve Jobs saying that at, at the keynote, and that that line. Um, like that's there's no line like that about about the watch and now the line that is that is especially with this article um going to kind of become cemented particularly among the tech press is that Apple wanted to make a watch yeah i think i am i am in complete agreement with you i don't think it's damning and i don't think it's um I don't know, whatever the opposite, what's the opposite of damning? <laughs> I don't think it's anything. It's nothing. Because I think, I think you're right. All products start like that. Like, okay, let's try to make a phone and see if it comes out. Or really, like the way Apple did it was, let's try to make a phone. And they made two phones, right? There was the Fidel team working on the uh, iPod OS version of the phone. And there was the Forstall uh, uh, Bertrand Serlet side trying to do the we can seriously we can strip down OS 10 to something that'll run on this trust us side and then it was like okay this is the one well and the thing is with the phone is the phone had a reason to exist and that was that it was a phone uh and the, the, what's funny about the line that we're talking about is like everyone pretends like i don't know why it's in parentheses you're right like the watch does have a reason to exist it's a watch right. like it tell it tells the time and uh, I, now, admittedly, this is a this is less compelling because everyone needs a phone. But uh, clearly, over the last several years, more and more people have decided they don't need watches. So I appreciate that uh, there's more of a need to to uh, you know to create value out, outside of that to get people who have never worn a watch to start wearing it. To start wearing one. That said, it's not like they're like this is. Google Glass, for example, um, where there was no there was no pre-existing kind of thing for it to fit into. Right. Like there was no framing for it to fit into. It was a it was a completely new to the world thing. Um, whereas the phone was a phone, but more. And this is a watch, but more. And I think this is why Apple and this is this is almost where Apple kind of got it, but not quite. That's why, like Tim Cook, the first thing he said about the phone, it keeps super accurate time, which was kind of weird. But I think that was the idea, was establishing that this is a watch first and foremost. And that's why it's called Apple Watch. It's not called a smartwatch yeah. and, and all, all that sort of stuff. And, um, and I think you, you see that in here because there, there is like all the imaging about – a lot of the imaging about like the watch faces. And there's the thing about the Mickey Mouse thing in here and, and, the, and the solar th thing. And like so I think the Apple w was going for that. But there's just – a there's a lack of clarity, I think, in in their messaging, and and frankly, I mean, uh, yeah, I think Apple, the company, is doing very well, but I think this is an era they've struggled with, you know, kind of consistently since since Steve Jobs, you know, kind of passed away. And this was, if you think about it, this is the one area that he really did micromanage. Yeah. Like he he looked over everything and approved everything when it came to messaging and the fear about micromanaging is what happens when the micromanager goes away do the people that are left have the the, the skills and ability to come up with stuff on their own or are they just people who implement it and um i haven't seen super compelling evidence quite frankly in the last several years i've written about this several times that apple 
really has their their messaging muscle fully developed. Hold, hold that thought because I I want to come back to that exact point. Hold that. I want to go back. Hands. What? It's in my hands. It's in your hands. Okay, because I'm really bad at holding a thought. Because <laughs> uh, that's another meta point that I want to make. But to go back to my admitted pettiness complaining about the article and professional jealousy. I'm also, I don't do that all the time. I certainly like the, the Ian Parker profile of Johnny Ive in the New Yorker from a few, I guess it's a few months ago now. Yeah. February 23rd, uh, was fantastic. Absolutely tremendous, a piece for the ages. I, I, I don't even know that I have a, a niggle about it. I guess my only niggle was that when he quoted me that he didn't quote the, the better part of the, uh, the line, <laughs> uh, so I, or we'll get to your quote soon in this article. Right? I'm, I'm not. Yeah, exactly. I'm not above, you know, I, I don't every single time somebody gets, you know, access to Apple. I'm not I don't think, wow, that should have been me. This Ian Parker story for The New Yorker. Fantastic. Also, I've been endless in my praise for um, the new Becoming Steve Jobs book, which I think is fantastic. And I recommend to everybody. Uh, and I think it's, I'm not going to say it's perfect, but I think it is excellent, truly excellent and a great compliment to everything that's, all, especially as a compliment to all the other books that have been written about jobs and Apple in, you know, last few decades. Um, so it's not like I always complain about people who write about Apple, you know, it's not like I'm constantly saying I could have done that better. I could have done that better. Um, but I just think in this case, a lot of people could have done this better. Um, yeah, but I mean, at at the end of the day, like, uh, I mean, th I think the the fault for the Isaacson book book falls on Jobs. Yeah, I not, do too. Not well, Isaacson. both. I'd say both. Well, I mean, yes, it does. But at the, but like you know, w <laughs> one one can suspect that you know why didn't Jobs pick someone that knew him well and knew Apple well and knew technology well? Well, and there's a I great mean, there's a great story in Becoming Steve Jobs that Bruce Schlender tells of. When he was at the Wall Street Journal, one and this was like in uh, this was before he I think it was uh, before he met Jobs the first time and why he was nervous meeting him the first time in the eighties um, was that he had a colleague at the Wall Street Journal who got an interview with Jobs I think while he was still at Apple and he was like Jobs just interrupted the interview and said something to the effect of Do you understand anything at all about this fucking stuff that we're talking about Do you understand any of this just called him out on it, you know, and the guy probably didn't. And I kind of feel like if, you know, I think Jobs is probably a really good uh, judge of whether people understood the stuff that they were talking about. I think it was really hard to bullshit that man. Uh, I think he had to know that Isaacson just didn't know what the fuck he was talking about with the, his work, which, I, yeah. you know, I agree. The buck stops with Jobs. Well, I mean, that's the same thing here. I mean, like, uh, th this is like, I don't think... I don't think this article uh, accomplished what Apple wanted it to accomplish. No. And um, and I, I think the buck stops, stops with Apple. Yeah. So uh, let's think back. So this idea, hey, let's make a watch. And we don't know what it's going to do, but let's just set out to do it. And that, like you said, a lot of people are latching onto this as proof that it's uh, the whole thing was doomed and a folly. That's I think that's exactly what they do with everything. The key is to go back to that line from a year or two ago, that thousand no's for every yes, right? Do, do well, right. do a thousand crazy things. And the, 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 the trick isn't in coming up with the brilliant idea from the outset, 
right? That's to that is that's death. If you only if you just sit there and wait at the idea stage until you have a perfect idea and it's all comes together and then go build it. That's death. That's the way you make crap products. You have yep. to get your hands dirty, get the clay and start molding the clay and start making things and try it and look at it and think, is this anything? And then if you think it's something, keep going. And then even after you've spent a lot of time on it, eventually you've got to say, well, it was worth it, but no, we're not going to do this. And then you, you right. know, you abandon it. The, the, no, there, there, there's Paul, Paul Thorat, um posted, posted like a bunch of like old, old stuff that he had, um, today and he, and he posted this amazing kind of like like statue type thing that was like a a a a concept case for longhorn it was like these three cds in a glass case and it was way overdone and, and out of there but i it's funny that you mentioned that because that was like the classic case of pre like pre-planning like microsoft oh we're going to do all this stuff we're going to redo the file system we're going to redo like all like use relational databases like all this crazy stuff and they got so focused on the like this is the idea and now we're going to make it happen that they spun themselves into the ground right. uh and and took and took years to 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 recover from that and no i think you're exactly right like you 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 don't start with an idea you start with a ton of ideas right. and, and and whittle down so it's a 3 year project and the the idea you know the people are latching on to the idea that the that the mistake was made back on day one when they said, let's make a watch and figure out what, what it could be good for. No, if, if the watch is a bad product, if it's a, if this is, you know, or, or even not, not bad, even if it's just not great, the problem wasn't on day one, the problem was on day, you know, 800, 700, somewhere around there, maybe even 900 when they didn't just say, you know what? No, this isn't good enough. It's not at the beginning stage. Is that the no? It's at that, uh, end stage. It's having the discipline of, you know, what do they say? Killing your babies. And even though you've invested two years in this, you may have to backtrack a year. And there is some of that in here. There's some of that in this, in the wired story where they say that they've, you know, had to rebuild some of the software from scratch three times. Uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting. They, they, they actually had the same interface as the pebble time. Yes, um, yes. I, I that was really one of the that was one of the things I called out. I actually called that out. Let me see here. Here's the quote. An early version of the software served you information in a timeline flowing chronologically from top to bottom. That idea never made it off campus. The ideas that will ship on April 24 are focused on streamlining the time it takes a user to figure out whether something is worth paying attention to. So yeah, it sounds ex which is and, and again, that drove me nuts though that Pierce didn't delve more into that into their idea if they told him about that idea i would have loved to have hear more about it and see just how much it was like the pebble 2.0 interface because that's yeah. that's the pebble 2.0 is what what is it? up is old and down is up is old the middle is now and down is the future right and I th it sounds like the criticism is and now we're like reading into an article that's that was reading into whatever but was that that leaves everything the same level of priority, and and so now you're just you're just scrolling through stuff that may be important, stuff that may not be, and the and the insinuation here is I think that uh, Apple redid the interface to to more surface things in the moment, and then either have them go away or have them or or or, or you know have it be more immediate and more more re reaction you know 
reactive. Yeah. Uh, Alan Dye is actually an interesting guy. I don't know him, you know, personally, but his, he's actually, and he's, um, I knew of him, and he's, even though his name probably isn't that well known, um, is somewhat controversial if you consider the whole, you know, you, change in UI direction from iOS 7 and Yosemite to be controversial because he led that work, you know, working directly under Ive. And it's the fact that his background is yep. um, graphic design. Yep. And I, that, I, 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 was, I was thinking the exact same thing. And he came into Apple in Schiller's product marketing group and did things like uh, the packaging, you know, like boxes and stuff like that. Uh, and then moved to take a leadership role in user interface design. And the... It's like I said, con I, I would call it controversy. And people inside Apple, I know, you know, there are people who who strongly disagree with the direction. That no, I, I think that that is the criticism of, of the iOS seven aesthetic is that it looks fantastic, but there's a difference between looking good in a screenshot and right. and actually being something that you interact with. And and I think all the criticism is about like the affordances, like how do you know what to do, what to press, and. That's something that I do think is lacking and it is still lacking. And even though no question, iOS 7, I would say, look a million times better than than the previous version, it is harder to use. Yeah. And, you know, it's inside the company, like HR wise, there's been turnover, like where there are. And again, I don't think it's complete. It's not like all of the old human interface team was let go forced out and they're all you know have new jobs elsewhere uh and a whole new team came in but in some ways it's you know it, you know some of the old people are still there and you know not it wasn't a complete reshuffling but it was definitely um somewhat of a reshuffling right yep no i've heard the same thing you know that and and there's definitely some you know uh user interface people from the other side, the old school people who have left Apple and are at, you know, Google and other places now in, in the Valley. Uh, and Dai is sort of, uh, I forget the other name. I know there's another person who came from product marketing. Um, you know, and there's some resentment from the people who don't think, who don't agree with the direction. Just as an aside. Let me take a break, and then we'll come back to that point that I told you to keep in your hands. Is that all right? Think it's a good it, time? It, it was slipping through my fingers, but okay. with a reminder, I just re-grabbed it. All right. Hold on. Let's take a break, and let's thank our first sponsor. It's our good friends at Fracture. You guys know Fracture. I talk about them. They've been sponsoring the show uh, all year long. Great, great service. They print photographs directly on glass. You take pictures with your iPhone, any camera you want. You've got them. They're all on your computer, right? In the old days, all your pictures were analog. And it was easy. You could just buy a frame. You put the best ones up. We've got everything digital now. It's great to print your photos. It really is. Your best photos. You put them up. You get some pictures of your kids or your family and stuff like that. You put them up on the wall. Uh and then all of a sudden, you look at them, and my God, everybody's older, right? We've got a picture. I just saw it the other day. It was from uh, my wife's and my wedding. Uh, and God, it was a long time ago. And there's one of her cousins was just a tiny little girl, like preschool aged. And now she's like a senior in high school. And it's like, holy shit, look at her. Um, 
What a great reminder. Printing photos, I can't, I can't recommend it enough. Well, Fracture is a great way to do it. You send them your photos. They print them directly on glass, not a piece of paper stuck to glass. I don't even know how they do it. Some kind of proprietary secret sauce. They print them right on the glass, just like, like the way that like our, our iPhones are laminated, this, the pixels are laminated to the glass. It's a fantastic effect. It really looks great. Uh, and it lets you mount them in these amazingly minimal ways because there's no reason you don't need to have a border around the frame because there's no piece of paper that's secured to the glass. Um, so you can get these amazing edge to edge, just, just the glass, just the picture, just the picture, just sitting there. Um, really, really amazing stuff. Great prices, all sorts of sizes, uh, from really small stuff you can put on your desk to really big, uh, like 23 by 23 square. Um, I forget how big the big rectangle one is, something 28 inches, 27 inches, really, really big. Um, and the amazing thing about that too, uh, is it ties into, I think Apple's campaign with the iPhone six camera, the shot with iPhone, uh, with just how good iPhone pictures look blown up big, like, we know that the iPhone has a good camera, but it's like you still think, well, it's a phone camera, so you can't blow it up real big. It's like, actually, you can. There's plenty of pixels. You can go you know, to 20-some inches with photos taken with your iPhone, and they look amazing. I mean, some of the ones in the Apple Store, they've got blown up to like six feet, and they look great. Um, so where do you go to find out more? Uh, go to FractureMe.com, and you can sign up. Uh, is there a code? I think there's a code, but I forget it. Well, I'll tell you later about the code. <laughs> um, go there. Go to FractureMe.com and get some pictures printed. And uh, my thanks to Fracture. All right. What was the thought that I had told you to hold in your hands? Uh, so the idea is that um, Apple's messaging has, hasn't been as crisp as it, as it once was. And, you know, I... I always hate to dip into the, you know, since Steve Jobs sort of narrative. But I think this is the one area where Apple has does does miss him. And I think a reason they miss him is is in part because he was so deeply involved in in the messaging, um, approving everything like just like you cannot overstate how involved he was like right. more than than product design. Yeah. And uh and the problem with that is the, the danger of having a micromanager is, well, the micromanager is there, presuming he's brilliant, as Jobs obviously was, particularly when it came to messaging. Uh, you'll get great work, but once the micromanager is gone, everyone underneath the micromanager has just been in pure execution roles. I just got, I just got a message from headquarters. Headquarters says the code for Fracture, it's a daring fireball. All one word. And when you use that, you save 15%. So let's screw it. Let's not fix it in editing. Let's let it go. This will stick in your head because it came mid-conversation. Daring Fireball. Use that code when you buy your Fracture and you save 15%. Their prices are already really good. Yes. And here's the big difference. It's another meta angle on this story is in the Jobs era. It wasn't just that he controlled the messaging from behind the scenes. It was a strategy of truly severe limited access to any and all Apple employees, including Jobs himself. Yep. And that's one of the things that really sticks out to me reading Becoming Steve Jobs was 
just how much more accessible he was personally right up through uh, coming back to Apple in 1997. That it really was a, and even maybe even in those first two years, you know, the first few years there at Apple, he was still a lot more accessible to, uh, again, not any and all, not any, you know, Joe or Jane Charlie reporter from anybody, but with handpicked reporters from, you know, big name publications like the Wall Street Journal and Fortune and et cetera, um, he was pretty accessible. And then that that got shut down, really. And nobody, they nobody got to talk to Apple executives. And you certainly didn't see this. Um, it is clearly a huge strategic change at Apple in terms of just how many people they've made accessible to the press in the run-up to the watch. Uh, huge profile of Johnny Ive in The New Yorker, which was clearly months in the making. I mean, maybe the better part of 2014, you know, with a series of, of interviews and trips to California. Enormous access that was granted to Ian Parker. And um, the Financial Times had a, you know, clearly not as detailed and as lengthy as Ian Parker, but pretty pretty good interview with Johnny Ive on the record. Uh, there was a Tim Cook profile by Adam Lashinsky in, uh, oh boy. Fortune. I, or no, I, uh, fortune I, or Forbes. I, I've, because they, I swear to God, my, the way my brain works, it's like a hashing algorithm. And because they both start with F O R and their business publications, I always confuse fortune. It's, for, it's fortune. It's okay. fortune. Uh, that was last week. Um, and I've, I'm, I think I'm forgetting some, there's, well, and then he, after the event last year, there was a bunch too. Like he was in the, the Bloomberg business week with that, you know, crazy cover. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I've actually, I've, I've actually going back, it's not perfect, but I'm doing, I'm searching in Google for the time period up to the, the actual launch of the watch or of the phone, sorry, back in 2007. And you would think that any sort of article like this sort of wired article would be somewhere at the top. And I don't, I can't find anything like it. Like the only thing I can find are the reviews that dropped, you know, a week before. I don't recall. And I, I think I would have. I don't recall ever hearing about like who designed the interface for the iPhone. And yep. I don't recall. I mean, we knew Johnny Ive. And, you know, uh, in, in the Jobs era, the best that you got outside Apple was just public recogni recognition of who did what. Yep. And like Johnny, I would like give a speech like once a year, like usually somewhere in Great Britain, and like that 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 was that was about it. And he was already talking in the the videos, you know. I think I, I think I've I've was already you know either being interviewed. It wasn't really like now he narrates them, but then it was like he was the, you know the talking head with the white background, you know, talking about you know the you know meticulous design and you know dropping all those excellently and impeccably pronounced adjectives. Um, you know, and we always know who Schiller is because Schiller's on stage. Um, but you just never got behind this, you know, there's never any kind of access like this, like talking to people who designed, you know, the look and feel of the buttons for iOS one and stuff like that. Right. It's all yeah. you got was the story that jobs presented on stage. Right. Well, yeah. So I think that there's a couple things here. So one, um, it was super tightly controlled, which meant means like, uh, you're not getting a story like this that I I think that I suspect it it came out with a spin that Apple probably 
probably wouldn't probably wouldn't prefer. Um, so that's kind of part one. Like, it, it, you know, this is kind of the risk of being open. But part two is even the people who are talking don't don't have a crispness in in in, in what they're saying. And and I know like and again the the narrative for skeptics in particular is that, you know, why, why does this exist? Um, again, like I actually think this is the, what's hard about messaging. I actually think what they're saying in this article is exactly right. Like you, the, I, I don't believe that advancement in technology and computing happens because like great people force it into being like, I think that there's, there's kind of, uh, in, in doubt, like an ongoing March forward progress of technology, and the great companies and the great visionaries like a Steve Jobs, their skill is not in like birthing things per se. It's it's in seeing where the where the wave is going, and catching it and being on the cutting edge of it. And and that's why you see again and again like there's all these examples of history of like stuff being invented by multiple people at about the same time, right? It's because yeah. like it's it's the time for something. And I and. Get, this is my philosophy with technology. Right. My very first post is trajectory like stated this. And I think it's the time and they and exactly what he said. The next place is the watch. The problem is that the press, that's not how the press writes stories. The press doesn't write about like the big picture contextual place in technology for this advice. Like that's why I have a job because that's what I write about. But I write to a limited you know, niche audience. The what press wants, they want the hero and they want the 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 open and shut story and case. And that's why you had Steve Jobs with the iPhone being like, we all hated our phone, so we made a better one. Like right. that's that you can latch onto that. And that's not here. And it's it's it hasn't it's consistently hasn't been here. You think you first saw it with the iPad. Well like, I, and I, now you're seeing it now. I think one of the most interesting things that's come out of this um barrage of behind this, you know, access and quotes from Apple's leaders, design leaders. I thought one of the most interesting was the I've quote in the Financial Times article, um, which overall wasn't a great article. It wasn't really, you know, but this line was great, which isn't surprising. But more, you know, I've said exactly what you're saying. Um, but it was great to hear from. We approached the phone with from this perspective that we all hated the phones that we had, hated them. And we're approaching the watch as that we love watches. We love the traditional world of mechanical watches and we're, we're approaching the watch with reverence for what's come before us. And that is a totally different approach and it's informed everything we did. Um, and it's fascinating to hear that, right? Nothing, no kind of trash talk at all about the traditional world of, of watches. Yeah, it, 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 it is interesting. But then this it, article doesn't go into that at all. It, it just says, you know, Johnny Ive took a deep dive into horology. And I think that was even a mistake because from what I understand, it wasn't just that Johnny Ive went and had like a, I'm going to go uh, uh, become a huge watch expert. Uh, everybody who worked on the watch, like they brought in horological experts and it wasn't just Johnny Ive who studied up on it. It was everybody who was involved, like the whole team more or less became world-class experts in in the history and you know everything you'd want to know to be a, a serious you know watch expert yeah and i don't think that comes across in the story i do no, think I, I do think and in terms of it being outside apple's control i can't help but think that katie cotton some is you know wherever she is this morning is in, like enjoying her morning cup of tea or coffee or whatever she drinks and it's just shaking her head 
I was under the impression she started out with scotch first thing, but <laughs> I don't think so. Um, no, I, I, yeah, no, I, I think I, I agree. And like there, it, and yeah, and people got people, people obviously, especially journalists, uh, you know, very much disliked that era of Apple from a PR perspective and disliked Katie Cotton by and large. Right. Um, but the fact of the matter is, uh, Apple didn't, Apple's message always got across. Yeah, Apple wasn't out to make Because there was, there was nothing else to write about. Like, right. the, the, the only thing they let out was exactly what they wanted to let out. And again, like, like I said, it, like, it's almost like the problem here and the problem with this article and with all these articles is they're too honest. And, and I appreciate that and you appreciate that. Um, but, Honest, kind of unfiltered honesty, and this is this is kind of <laughs> maybe we can lead into your bozo remark here. Like unfiltered honesty, uh, without doesn't it doesn't it's not a soundbite. Like and it doesn't it doesn't spread um, in in it, or it leaves itself open to all kinds of interpretations. Yeah, and uh, that's you kind of see that happening in in the hands of someone like like Ian Parker who. And who remember took 17,000 words to do it. Like what was it about the link that mattered too? It was all the context that was put around it. Right. When you put context around honesty, then it's so fulfilling. And it's like you, you reading that article is like eating a steak dinner or something. Right. But when you, when you have honesty, but without deep understanding or context, it, it, it weaves itself open to interpretation, which I think happened here. And so you had Pierce's interpretation on top of it. Um, and two, you get kind of unintended sound bites. And I think that's exactly what happened here. The sound bite is Apple didn't have a plan for the watch. Um, when again, I think if you look at big picture, a watch is the na- natural thing to do next. And hey, it does tell time. And I honestly think that that's the better way to approach it is okay. Let's approach it with an empty mind and anything and everything goes as opposed to I'm telling you, the worst way to design anything is to have the whole thing in your head and then go make the thing in your head without constant iteration and revisiting and feeling it as it becomes realer and realer and realer. It's it's to me one of the secrets of Apple's success in the last uh, geez, what are we even up to now? 20, 20 years, 15 years. What the hell? How long has it been? Uh, the, well, the the iPod was Eight, 2001. 18 so years? 14 years. I'm going to say 18 years since 97. That's fair. Uh, is is that they don't, you know, it's not like somebody goes off with a notebook, sketches a thing, and draws it all up, and then somebody goes and makes it, which is, I think, how a lot of technology gets made, have has been made ever since the outset of technology. You know, oh, no, totally. I mean, I think people, I mean, people have this idea that Apple has this grand vision. I mean, like, one thing that I when I um I got a chance to really dig deep into when I when I was at Apple was was looking at the um how iTunes came about and basically and what people forget about this I th- I might have told this story I don't know if I've told it to you before um but you remember in 2000 Apple had a big event where they're like you know the you know the what made the, the Mac the first time around, it was desktop publishing. Well, we think we know what's next and it's going to be movies. 
And right, then it was iMovie right. and it was the iMac and it was like, we we are going to like, you can make home movies and this is what we're going to be all about. Yep. And then like nine months la- or nine months later or somewhat absurdly short amount of time, Steve Jobs gets on stage and gives a completely different vision, like could not be more different. And that was the digital hub speech. So we think the Mac's going to be a digital hub for all these devices. Yeah. And I, th- and I think he almost admitted that it was a mistake, right? Because it, it also coincided with, with making CD our drive standard because part of the problem with the the prior Macs was that you couldn't make music discs. Right. No, no. It, it, I mean, they implicitly admitted it was a problem. I don't, I mean, Steve Jobs never wanted to stand up and say, we, 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 we screw this up, but I mean, it, it was, it, yeah, he had, he, a, he had a good way a, of doing it. He had a good way of doing it without saying, you know, he was, I would say one of his greatest gifts was his way of, backtracking even publicly and somehow making it not look like an admission of error. Right. No, ex- exactly. And you hear this, but you hear this, this is what Cook always praised about Jobs is how he would change his mind all the time. Right. Like, I mean, to think that Apple has a master plan and just executes it is is not just to misunderstand Apple, but it's to misunderstand how progress happens. Yeah. I mean, again, this is back to my kind of big meta thesis. Like you figure out what's next. You don't make what's next. Yeah. And I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. And you, well, and you have to look at what people are doing. And and that era you're talking about, it 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 was a it was a dividing point between Mac and PC users, not just in terms of any kind of political affiliation or tribal affiliation, whatever you want to call it. Um, but just in terms of what real people were really doing and on the PC side, what people were doing was downloading a lot of music from Napster and, and then burning CDs, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 songs, whatever you could fit, or I guess you could fit more. I guess you could, with MP3s, you could, if you had an MP3 player that could read them off CD, but anyway, people were burning CDs with music, whether it was to play them as regular CDs or to play them in mp3 players that could read mp3s off cds people were doing it and mac users weren't because they didn't have cdr drives yeah well, and, the, the, my favorite actually one of my favorite jobs quotes comes around this time i, I it's it's actually really hard to find i think it's you have to get in that archive I'll, I'll i'll try to find it you know in a bit but basically he says like i thought we missed it like i thought i, I screwed up like and it was like the most like stark admission of like jobs saying like admitting that he thought that he totally blew it. He's they thought they were too late. They thought they were too late to music. They made the wrong focus. They made the wrong bet by focusing on movies. And and what and what's amazing is I mean the company internally in that in that year or nine months however long it was completely transformed. Like the iMovie guys were like top of the heap, right? Within like a matter of like weeks. Like completely reorganized, completely deprioritized. Like iTunes was gonna be they went out and bought Sound Jam. Right. Um and and turned around and, and and you think about and Apple has this reputation oh they do stuff for years and stuff like that and I I do believe they they do that today but they delivered iTunes and these new Macs in something like nine months and then they hadn't even conceived of the the really the iPod yet uh, a month later was when Rubenstein went to Japan and visit Toshiba. He was like, oh, we have this little hard drive. We don't know what to do with it. And he's like, oh, I know what we could do with that. And that was in February. And they watched the they watched the iPod in September. Right. So the iPod was conceived, designed, all that in, in six months. And in and 2001, right? In 2001. And, uh, and like, that's, that's not like, starting with, the, the, starting with a breakthrough from Toshiba, right? It no, is a crazy story. 
No, the basic idea there was that standard laptop hard drives were 2.5 inches, and Toshiba came up with a 1.8 inch hard drive, and none of the PC makers wanted it because it was slow and well, it was small. And, and and it the 2.5 inch size was fine because the 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 laptops, even the smallest one, had to at least the minimum size for the laptop with the keyboard and with a reasonable screen. That inch didn't matter. There was nothing to do with the space saving. The space saving made no difference to the design of laptops. And laptops were the only devices these other companies had that needed small hard drives, right? You had to go yep. to something as radically smaller as like the first iPods to make, to say, here's where you need something that, here's where 2.5 inches is too too big. You needed it. And that nobody else had a, a device in mind that that needed that. No, it's a and it's a wonderful example of how you know, particularly in technology, like, and this is why, this is this is why, technology companies generally, even though like, uh, you know, you you want people that have a wide range of experiences and 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 liberal arts sort of stuff, like, but that's why the the technological background is valued because, at the end of the day, like, what is possible and what isn't is is governed by the technology. And and that's a big part of like why the iPhone succeeded, whereas something like the Newton didn't. Like the technology just wasn't there. Whereas the iPhone, like the iPhone, was on the edge of possible. Like the the processor was just barely fast enough. They did do all kinds of tricks to you know to to make to make it responsive like they did. Um, you know the touchscreen technology was was just getting cheap enough, and and that's like it's it's understanding that intersection and having the patience to watch something when it's ready. And quite frankly, if you want to if you want to criticize the watch for anything and first off I would suggest waiting until it actually comes out and you can use it. Um but two <laughs> that never stopped anyone. <laughs> but two like if I think if you look at the arc of personal technology, of course the next thing's going to be the wrist. That's my that's my opinion, but I think it's pretty clear. The question is when is the right time? And the right time will be governed by the available technology. Yeah. And 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 so the, the criticism of the watch, if it ends up deserving criticism, is not that it shouldn't exist. It's that should it exist now or should it exist later? Yeah. And I would say a great example of that is the Newton. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Newton was a great product. I really, really appreciated the OS. I, I thought it was a great design. I think you could quibble about some of the details. I think that the way that they made some of the apps blessed, you know, the way that at the bottom of the screen there were certain apps that had a permanent location there and you couldn't change them was questionable. But it was also fixable. They could go forward in a new way. But to me, I have talked, I, I talked about this a long time ago, but to me the fundamental failure of the Newton was that it came too soon insofar as there was no wireless networking at the time. And any device of that basic gist form factor needed wireless networking. And I know Palm had some success with Palm Pilots in that era, and there wasn't Wi-Fi or cellular networking at the time. But I think if you look at Palm's success with the Palm Pilot and how many they sold, it was it was a hit among us, right? I had one. I had a, a hands-free oh, visor I, I carried it. around for years and loved it. But there was no way, like, my parents were going to get one or my sister my sister was, would never get one it, it you know normal people weren't going to get one right and right. it's because it didn't have wireless and it, because it didn't have wireless it couldn't communicate and you know what people do they communicate that's the, the fundamental gist of why 
the internet got popular in the 90s was people communicated with each other. Until people could communicate with each other, they had no interest in, in you know, PCs, the mass market. It was only for us nerds. Yep. And same thing with handhelds. And, you know, that's what doomed the Newton. The Newton needed anything that's, that you carried around and held in your hand. It needs wireless networking because it needs to be a communications device. No, I think that that it is it is the perfect example, and and this is you know this gets to why why Apple has focused on the communication aspect of the watch and you know the drawing and and the harp and all that sort of stuff. I mean, we'll, obviously, again, uh, we'll have to wait and see how it actually works out in real life, but that's why it's a tentpole feature because that's that's what matters to normal people. Um. I want to talk about the headline for this article. I it drives me crazy. This this is the uh, the Wired article. The headline is <laughs> "iPhone Killer: colon, The Secret History of the Apple Watch." None of that is true. <laughs> it is not an iPhone killer, right? It's number one. That's the worst. And to me, a bad headline is like a bad first impression. Everything has to recover from that because the first, so you're it, the article, the headline sets up such a false impression, right? It's it, it, the the watch is useless without your iPhone, literally. Well, not literally. I guess there's are certain functionality still works outside the range of your phone, um, but it is fundamentally designed to work as a. It is a companion. It is supposed to make your life with your phone better. That's the gist of it. It's not a killer. And maybe someday it will be, right? Maybe someday there will be, uh, it certainly seems possible with the march of technology that that within a few years, whether that's three years, four years, five years, six years, that, you, you know, the watch will have its own Wi-Fi first, probably. The watch could have its own cellular um, and be the main device. And then you would buy something like an iPod Touch just to be your four inch, five inch screen that connects to the watch. Just right. For... And it, it, it must have Wi Fi because of the whole it works in your house even when you Yeah, but it doesn't phone. use but like you can't set it up. Let's say it let's say like you never log into your home Wi Fi. It's that whole Wi Fi back channel thing. Right. You don't you don't type a password into your watch so that when your phone isn't there it's on the internet and getting notifications. Right, right, exactly. It's only that, that back channel. I forget what the technical term for it is, but it's that way that Wi-Fi can now have... Like Wi-Fi a, direct, I think. Yeah, something like that. Um, I'm saying that in the future, it, clearly it's a natural progression that the watch would have its own Wi-Fi, and then you could leave house without your phone, and if it knows the Starbucks network, it can... When you get there, it'll get notifications and email and stuff like that right there. And then you can send text messages or iMessage at least, not SMS. But you could send messages and emails um, right from your watch without your phone present. That's coming in the future, surely, unless the product is so unpopular that they stop making it. Right. Well, I mean, LG just 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 launched a watch with LTE. I mean, so it's like it, it's in the realm of possibility. Yeah, I think Samsung had... Didn't yep, Samsung have one yeah, with they LTE? Yeah, launched last year. Yeah, yep. clearly it's possible. It's just a question of when it'll be ready for an Apple-caliber product. Right. Um, I, that headline is so bad. It's not an iPhone killer. Absolutely not. Uh, and then the secret history of the Apple Watch, boy, that is really overstating the access that he got, right? I mean, how much is, 
this is not the secret history of the Apple Watch, right? Like, if there's a problem with the article, it's that it's so incomplete about the creation story of the Apple Watch. There are very few details about what what paths they went down and backtracked on in the three years that they were working on it. Yeah. No, it, it, even the one that was in here that was kind of interesting about the timeline wasn't really wasn't really fleshed out. No, it wasn't fleshed out in any in any degree. So, you know, boo hiss on the to me clickbaity headline from Wired. Compare that yeah. to the to the New Yorker, which the headline is uh the shape of things to come. How an industrial designer became Apple's greatest product. And then their their title tag for the article, which is a little different, uh, is Jonathan Ive in the future of Apple. Totally fair. Not clickbaity at all. And the article got tons of attention. It got all the attention it deserves. Well, welcome, 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 welcome to the reality of today's World Wide Web. Yeah. Uh, let's take a break. And then the last thing we can do on the article is uh, talk about the, the quote they have for me, which is another... <laughs> Another area where I'll complain. We'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to the real area while you're grumpy. Yeah. Um, let me tell you about a new sponsor, Dash. Dash is really cool. It's a website that lets you quickly create real-time dashboards, like a, like a status display. You create a dashboard. It's on the web. You can put it anywhere you can put a website. So you can hook like a, you know, computer up to a big tv set or something like that hang it on your office for your team uh and there are dozens of pre-built widgets for services like uh google analytics uh github twitter so you can get stuff from twitter for your company's twitter account display it on a big dashboard on a tv or something like that for your team to see i also hook up with app figures app figures is a really cool company uh, that does app analytics so you can see things like how many reviews your app got uh, uh how many sales you had yesterday or this week or month to date and stuff like that so if you just want to put up a dashboard that graphs things like you know your app sales for the last month or last week or whatever um Dash, and you use app figures already. Well, number one, if you don't use app figures, you should look into it. But then if you use Dash, you can hook up to app figures and get that graphed in a really, really cool way. Uh, and you're not limited to their pre-built uh, widgets. Uh, they have an API, so you can do custom data. The API uh, you can use to push real-time data uh, or pull it from sources like Google Drive, Dropbox, or pretty much anywhere on the web. So if you can build something that can put data into um, Dropbox, which is pretty easy, it's pretty much just like writing a file, you can then set up a custom Dash widget that'll just log in your Dash, uh, Dropbox account and pull the data from there. Uh, the pricing model is fairly simple. Free accounts get unlimited public dashboards so that people can share live data with the world, with the community. If you upgrade to Pro, you can get unlimited private dashboards and you can get themes and access to the real-time push API. The real-time push API is only for pro accounts. Um, 10 bucks a month. That's it. Just 10 bucks a month and you can get a pro account. Really cool. Um, so the free account, you can use it just to see how cool it is. Use the free account, see how cool it is. Um, but they're also running a limited time promotion. If you sign up for a free account today at their website, now their website is the dash dot com the dash dot com you'll get 
uh, one private dashboard in addition to your free accounts unlimited public dashboards. So you can even try the private dashboards for free with the limited time promotion just to see how cool it is. No credit card required, uh, and they will keep your private dashboard. Uh, you'll keep it forever. So it's not like during the limited time promotion, once it's over, your private dashboard uh, disappears. You get to keep it. Really cool stuff. So go check them out at thedash.com. My thanks to them. Um, do you want to read the, the part of the first paragraph? It's the first paragraph of David Pierce's story. Sorry about that. I stepped out for a second. Oh, that's all right. Um, oh, I found the quote, by the way. Okay. Uh, uh, fortunately, Isaacson, which, which the thing, the thing about the Edison's book is like half of it was just like rewriting other people's stuff. Um, but, uh, he told fortune and, and Isaacson has it in here. Uh, I felt like a dope. He told fortune. I thought we had missed it. We had to work hard to catch up. Um, speaking about music and, and the fact that they kind of rejiggered everything and the, the, the other thing this is like this is the, i know you share my frustration with this like the whole mythology about apple creating these new products like apple doesn't create apple really hasn't created new products they've created new user interfaces um but you know i mean the 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 mac with the idea of a wimp interface was famously you know initially came up at, at Xerox. This, you know, the idea of an MP3 player wasn't new. The idea of a smartphone wasn't new. The idea of a tablet wasn't really new. I mean, and what they do, though, is they do it really well. And part of doing it really well is they do it at the right time with the right technology. And it, it's just like, I, it, it, again, it goes back to this kind of fundamental, like, myth-making nature of of the press. And I know this is the case in all arenas, this is the case in politics, this is the case in sports. Everything is about like, you know, more and more with sports. I'm a huge sports fan. And there's more and more uh, writing about kind of like the intricacies of the game and game planning and how people run plays like that, which I love. I dig into. But there was sports writing that we had for years and what you still get in you know, places like ESPN and stuff like that, at least on the front page, is the mythological great man or a great woman, you know, overcoming adversity to, to, to win the day, uh, when that's actually, that's a story a right. and, and it's not how products are made. But again, like I said, it's on Apple to create the myth and yeah. it's the myth making that, that is gone. Yeah. Do you want to read the first paragraph of this iPhone killer story or at least the, <laughs> I guess it's the second paragraph. There is a paragraph. The marker there. no it's a it, no it's the first oh yeah you're right oh because this terrible layout yeah uh yeah uh kevin lynch i'll, I'll skip around a little bit i'll, I'll read the lower one parts kevin lynch accepted in early 2013 kevin lynch accepted a job offer from apple funny thing about the offer it didn't say what he would be doing da, 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 da. it was odd that apple even offered him a job during his eight years at adobe most recently as chief technology officer he was best known as the only person dumb enough to publicly fight Steve Jobs for the iPhone's lack of support for Flash videos, which, of course, he wasn't the only one, but whatever. Uh, when Lynch announced his move, the reaction was, was immediate. They want this guy? Apple blogger John Gruber called Lynch, quote, a bozo, comma, a bad hire, period, unquote. New paragraph. <laughs> I didn't, though. And I know it's nuance and it's harsh. But when he was hired, this was actually exactly two years ago. Uh Tuesday, 19th of March, 2013. This is all in the headline. I'll put this in the show notes. Um, 
hope I remember. Don't, for, don't show. forget. Uh, exhibit A in the case that newly hired Apple VP of technology, Kevin Lynch, is a bozo, a bad hire. Um, the nuance there is I didn't say he is a bozo, a bad hire. I said there is a case to be made that he is. And the case to me was, you know, not that it was good or that it was convincing, but, uh, you know, and I quote from a blog post that he had written at Adobe three years ago talking about Flash Player. And, and um, so here's this, these are words from Kevin Lynch. So three years before, so 2010. We are now on the verge of delivering Flash Player 10.1 for smartphones with all but one of the top manufacturers. This includes Google's Android, RIM's BlackBerry, Nokia, Palm Pre, and many others across form factors, including not only smartphones, but also tablets, netbooks, and internet-connected TVs. Flash in the browser provides a competitive advantage to these devices because it will enable their customers to browse the whole web. Um, So those are Lynch's words, right? That's... You know, he, he wrote that, or at least he put his name on it. And I wrote, well, how'd that work out? Those companies and platforms are now either, a, this is, and this was two years ago, A, out of business, B, on the verge of going out of business, or C, have abandoned Flash Player entirely. And, and you even include D, that the web is kind of on, on Death Watch as it is. Yeah, well, at, we at least, at least on mobile and the watch, right? right? Um. So I stand by it. I'm I'm not, you know, I, I but I didn't say he was. I said there was a case to be made that he was. And I know that I'm I'm asking for nuance that the press tep- typically doesn't give, but to me it's important. Like it's, you know, clearly we're going to judge Kevin Lynch on the quality of Apple Watch software. And, you know, he might prove himself that, you know, okay, you know, he was dealt a bad hand at uh, Adobe, and the argument would be then that he was the loyal company man, and that he knew he knew damn well when he wrote it that it was a bad hand, and he was loyal to the company. Um, but I just I don't like that I don't like having it quoted that I said he was a bozo because I didn't say that, and I wouldn't have because I don't feel like you know to me the nuance is important. I it could be that he he knew damn well that it was a pile of shit, and that he was just you know being the right you know doing the doing right by the company as he saw fit. Um, I don't know if I've for, ever... For, to, to be, to, 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 yes, reading it, I, I, have to, I have to be honest. Reading it, yes, you clearly said it is a case. You didn't say he was a bozo. Um, I will say uh, that I very much remembered your post about Kevin Lynch. And when I saw the quote in the article, A, I knew you'd be annoyed, but B... I thought it was totally fair because that's what I remembered you saying. So it's back, not unfair. I wouldn't say unfair, but I feel like it misses the nuance. Um, and then there's another line from his what he wrote. He wrote, for example, the recent Nexus One from Google will rock with a great experience in the browser with Flash Player 10.1. And then I said, yeah, it rocked so hard. Google dropped Flash Player support from Android last year <laughs> with a link to where Google dropped Flash Player support from Android. No, I mean the Lynch thing, though. Like, there's no. I I completely shared your skepticism. I mean, when I I was, uh, I was and remain very critical of the of the initial watch unveiling. Again, for the exact same reason, uh, because I just felt the messaging was so poor. Um, and I called out the fact that 
boy, the Kevin Lynch part really bothered me. I was bothered when he was hired. Uh, other people were bothered he was hired, and I linked to this post, by the way. Um, and then I said, for me at least, his seeming inability to focus or prioritize his software demo confirmed many of those misgivings. Um, so, no, I mean, there's no question that he he had a ton of skepticism. I will say uh, I thought he... I thought he crushed the the watch event. Like I, I I thought his was by far the strongest part of the second watch event. I thought he captured uh the way the watch can transform your life. I mean, my, my 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 case for the watch has always been um again, I take more less of a watch and watch in the Apple Watch in particular and more of a a like where is technology going view. And one, I think that's the natural next place. And two, I think what's interesting is is the phone gave us the the ability to to interact with anyone and anything anywhere in the world. But what the watch will give us is the chance to interact with everything in our physical environment. And that's what Winch Winch demoed. And that's more of a, a longer range vision because a lot of this stuff for that isn't in place yet. Um but but that's that's what he did. And that's why I'm bullish because I think that the watch makes sense. A like a watch makes sense, one. And two, Apple has deserves the benefit of the doubt. They've they've nailed they're they're three for three yeah. right now. And if anyone's gonna nail it, like until they prove otherwise, I'll presume they will. And that's at the core, that's why I'm bullish. And I think Apple and Lynch in particular demonstrated that at the last event. Um, but that's not coming across in these articles. Um one thing I heard when I wrote that, and I don't know if I, I don't think I wrote about it, and I don't know if I, I don't remember if I said it on the the show. But after I wrote that, this was back when when he was first hired. One thing I heard from, let's say, a well placed Birdie in Cupertino, um, who would know somebody a Birdie with a position who would know if it were true, um, said to me that, uh, in fact, Steve Jobs had personally recruited. Uh, now, obviously, he was hired. He was hired in twenty thirteen. Thirteen, two years ago, Steve Jobs was already dead. But what I heard from one source who would know was that Jobs tried to recruit him years prior. I don't know exactly when. Probably twenty ten or twenty eleven. Um, uh, probably twenty ten. Thinking about it, uh, and he turned him down specifically because he thought it he owed it to Adobe to stick with them and that it would he 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 thought it would look that Lynch thought it would really make Adobe look bad if he left for Apple in the midst in the middle of the flash in stuff. the middle of this flash player stuff uh and that he stuck with them out of loyalty um with Adobe out of loyalty now I I did, you know I would if Lynch told me that I would take it as fact. I heard it from a secondhand source, so take it with a grain of salt. I don't know if that's true or if it's been I don't know, but I heard that. I've been and thinking he he was with Macromedia, so presumably yeah. I mean he knew Schiller. Um, that might have been maybe that was the connection. I don't know. I wonder though because Schiller was there so long ago. That's I mean, true. I that's mean true. that's we're talking mid '90s, so I don't know about that. Um, Here's the thing, though, about the loyalty angle. Like to me, the best thing you could say about Lynch is if he believed all that stuff about Flash Player for being for mobile being a you know a, a great thing that's going to help everybody but Apple and that Apple should get on it. If he really thought in 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 what was that 2011 or was it uh, 2010? He wrote that in 2010. If he really thought that. Flash player for mobile was a winner for everybody but Apple and that Apple should get on board and do it. To me, that's damning because it's 
it was just bad technology and it was really bad for mobile you know you know i i'm i'm I, I agree, and you get to the like the Johnny Ive article and talking about the idea that you know you're not being honest if you're not like being critical. <sighs> at at the same time, um, before I went to Microsoft uh, and when they first unveiled Windows 8 at All Things D, uh, this would be 20 I think 2011. Um, I thought it was awful. I trashed it. I posted a bunch of stuff on Twitter, at which I then, which unfortunately is no longer there because one of my classmates is like, dude, you know you're going to work there, right? So one might be reading that. And I already got in, uh, people who follow me on Twitter be shocked to hear this. I already got in trouble with my Twitter account previously uh, due, to, due to Apple, actually. Um, it's a long, convoluted story. Um, not when I was at Apple. Uh, it, it was a school thing. Um, so I, but then I went to, I went to Microsoft and I worked on, on Windows 8. And, uh, and one of the things was when, when you're working on it and you're recruiting and I was in charge of, or not in charge, I was one of the people on the team getting developers to build for windows eight and you're kind of selling it. Right. And you, you have, and there's a certain sense of like, I can't, I, I, I yeah, maybe I, I should just quit if I don't really believe in it. But if you're like that, you're fresh out of school, like is a big opportunity. I actually, someone, the team's got reorganized. So I was doing a job several levels above me, ton of responsibility, had a ton, a ton of impact. And there's, there's a kind of subconscious thing like, well, maybe I have my doubts, but I'm going to kind of put those in a cupboard for now. And I'm going to work my ass off and do the best I can, which I did. And I told close friends, like I told about my misgivings and like the, the issues with it, but Boy, as far as it impacted my day-to-day life, my professional life, like I was giving it my all. And sure enough, when it came out, it, like all my initial misgivings ended up being totally spot on. But I, I kind of look back that both humbled for sure and a little ashamed, but also appreciative for uh, how it you can lose sight of like what what is true. And, and, and yeah, if you're someone like, like Johnny Ivor, arguably Kevin Lynch in his position, you have the luxury of you can step off. But I don't. There's so many things in in history where people kind of like just go down the wrong path. And man, I I, I join you in judging him, but I also uh, empathize and can sympathize because I I feel bad about it. I feel bad that I sucked in. At the same time, I can appreciate why that happened to me. Right. Because and who knows what he was saying inside Adobe. Right. I mean, that's, you know, what he said publicly. I I would not want to put my name on something public that uh, to go that all in on if I was the CTO of Adobe in 2010. There's no way I would have put my name on that publicly, even no matter how loyal I wanted to be to the company. And I realized that as, you know, the CTO of uh, Adobe, he couldn't say anything bad about it at the time publicly and that Adobe as a whole was going to market it and try to do it. But he had to know it was a bad technology and a really bad fit for mobile devices and processors in terms of performance and just where, you know, where everything was going. I mean, I took so much flack at the time from certain people with my adamance, my absolute adamance that, you know, that flash was terrible um, for mobile. I've, I've always thought flash was terrible even for desktop, but it was, you know, horrible. And that the best thing that ever happened to the web uh, the open web was Apple's refusal to put Flash on these devices, and it single-handedly, in my opinion, got video 
out of the proprietary and terribly performing Flash Player and into, you know, just, you know, uh, you know, HTML5 compatible, what, H264 and et cetera, that's, can be played more efficiently and openly and doesn't require any sort of um, lock-in to one particular plugin architecture. Yeah. It's funny. I actually kind of stumbled across his personal website um, via Wikipedia, and it has his kind of, you know, it's in paragraph form, but kind of his, his, what he's done. And there is no mention of the word flash. <laughs> huh. Well, unsurprisingly, I talks about Adobe as at CTO at Adobe helped define real life creative cloud and Adobe marketing cloud. Um, no, no flash. I didn't know earlier. This is Kevin Lynch from his website. I will put this in the show notes. Hold on. Let me write, if I write it down on paper, it'll get in. Um, Earlier, I was a Mac software developer. I helped develop the first Mac release of FrameMaker and then led their core technology team. Frame technology was also acquired by Adobe. Prior to this, I helped establish one of the first Mac software startups in 1984. Uh, FrameMaker, you ever use FrameMaker? Nope. Ooh, great, great software. Really great software. And and the fact that it, like Adobe sort of, I guess it's gone now. I guess it's dead. I don't think it ever made the transition to OS X. I think it was... I don't think there was ever a native OS 10 version of it. Uh, and it was strategically subsumed by InDesign and InDesign right. was way more. The thing with FrameMaker, we used to, I used it at bare bones where we had the, it was super focused, right? It, yeah. It, it wasn't quite as designery as I would like. And I had, I used to, I used to live and breathe in Quark Express. And so, I mean, yeah, I, that, that's, that's what I knew. I used Quark Express. I would, I would get frustrated by some of the ways that frame, it wasn't as design like for quark i could make a thing print out with the exact design i wanted down to i i'm gonna say hundredth of an inch but it might have even been thousandths of an inch i mean and it was spot on accurate and then it would just you know it would come out of the printer exactly everything positioned exactly where i wanted it and frame maker didn't let you position things quite as precisely as as quark but the thing that frame had was these book making features where you could select like like for making here's a the canonical uh, example is to make an index for the book is you could select text and say, I want to make an index entry right here. And uh, you got precise control over what the entry in the index would be called, where it pointed to. And then as you edited the document and moved things around, it just Update. worked right. It, it, you just did not have to worry about your index connections breaking or working. It was brilliant and really, really, and it's a tricky, tricky problem to solve. Really, I mean, the doing a good index for a book is uh, infamously di difficult and expensive to get someone to do it. And, you know, at the time, uh, the, you know, BB Edit's manual was thick. I mean, it was, I don't know, it was, it was like 300 pages um, and had a great index. And it was so easy, FrameMaker made it so easy to keep that index up to date as you went and you know added new features and stuff great 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 app so that's a that's a feather in his cap well uh, we all we all we all have we all have our ups and downs uh, anyhow like i said i was hoping we were not gonna have a watch now we're an hour and a half in so i do it's funny that you brought it up though because that's exactly where i was going with the whole on, you know, like with the, with his role with Flash and mobile is on the one side he really believed that it was the you know could be a could be the future of mobile, which would indicate that he's a bozo. I don't believe that. 
I think that I my guess is, is that he knew exactly what the score was, and he was just being loyal to Adobe. That though, like you said, in and of itself is maybe not loyalty as a general thing is great, but maybe in that case, it's like I was I was going to go there with the Johnny Ive story about Steve Jobs saying, you know, don't just say good things about it. You got to be honest. If you're not being honest, you're doing a disservice to the people you're talking to. And that it was a disservice, you know, to Adobe to to let them keep pushing Flash forward because that's was... so that's so that's so that's so rare though. I right. mean, it's it's especially well, and, in in big companies, right? And Adobe is doing pretty good. Their last quarter, their results were pretty good, um, and I'm happy to see that. I think I think the industry is better with a healthy, strong, successful Adobe as an independent company. Oh no, I completely agree. And like the way they've in the way they've transitioned their products to being to the to being a, a, a service basically um yep. has been really impressive. Uh no, I I, I completely agree. Yeah. And actually just they just released a new app um a couple hours ago. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Nope. Um Adobe Slate, a visual story storytelling app for the iPad, uh where you can basically use photos and text to create like to to create a story. Um and it, it's it's it feels so like Adobe-esque in the best possible way, right? It's like letting you lay stuff out, create something that looks really, really great to create like your own product in a sense. Like Adobe lets you create, lets you create, lets you create products yeah. in, in the best possible sense and or when they're at their best. And what's what's fascinating about this is um, like who is arguably, if you think about it, who is, who, if anyone is pushing the envelope on the iPad right now? Like, there, there aren't many, and wouldn't it be fascinating if kind of like the, the, the two companies that arguably are producing some of the most compelling iPad apps right now are Adobe and Microsoft. Yeah, like it's well, it's, and it's that would like that, a replay. All right, yeah, it is a replay to the Mac, right? Yep. Because let's just say that eighty four, eighty four was you know the original Mac was a severely limited machine. Eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven or so is when I would say the Mac really kind of got up off the ground in terms of the performance of the, I don't know if they were up to the 68020 yet, but it was getting close. You know, the 68020s and the 68030s eventually. Um, but other, and, and with other form factors where you could get bigger displays and stuff like that um, and more RAM. And then famously, you know, the desktop publishing industry, which was built on the Mac. That didn't come from Apple. Apple never had a desktop publishing app. I mean, Apple came out with the LaserWriter, which certainly helped. But um, you know, it was software from Adobe and Quark and um, who did PageMaker? Altus. Yep. Uh, that really made that an industry. And again, Microsoft. It was apps like Excel. Excel started on the Mac, right? Or at least yep. it became a yep. hit on nope. the Mac. Started, first. started on the Mac. Uh, Microsoft Word was a huge Mac app. Uh, you know, lots of great software from Microsoft for the app for for the Mac in the '80s, and absolutely helped make the Mac for. It obviously never got entrenched as a widespread, you know, business computer. But it, in places that did have Macs, it was the Microsoft software that made it uh, plausible. Yeah, no, that totally. would be interesting. And, and I do think it, it, I I I I know this is a little controversial, but I I kind of feel like um, you know Apple. You know, to some extent, the the way that I feel they've limited the app store and limited the ability to build sustainable apps, 
um, in my estimation, you know, without not having things like trials, not having things like easy upgrades. Um, I, I, I kind of feel like that one, there's the whole, you know, commoditize your compliments, like cheap apps is good for the platform within, within a certain limit. Um, but on the other hand, I think they, they remembered, you know, being in that position where it got to the point where the Microsoft and Adobe apps were more important than the Mac. Right. And like Steve Jobs had to like prostrate it, prostrate himself. Uh, prostrate, said, um, we might need to edit that out. Uh, <laughs> no way. We're no, no way are we editing that out. But it's, it's, it's really morbid considering the first time talking about, um, uh, you know, like almost like literally with this massive visage of Bill Gates up on his screen, you know, Microsoft riding into the rescue and then Adobe, when they went to OS 10, Adobe wouldn't even come over, right? Like they refused them. They're like, right. oh, our customers aren't really there. And, um, you know, and I, I feel like Apple would never want to be held hostage to app makers again. Yeah. And, and it turns out though, because no one's really been able to build, especially in the productivity space, a meaningful business on, on the iPad in particular, like it, it turns out it's the same guys that are there and it's Microsoft and, it, and it's Adobe. And um, it's, I just find it fascinating and kind of like the, the history of this relationship. Yeah, they were definitely, I, I think that with, and again, I don't want to go on a huge digression about circa 1997 industry politics but um it is interesting though i do think so that you know that adobe and microsoft at least especially combined held far more sway over apple's future than apple itself did yep you know maybe they could have gotten by with one and on board and not the other either way but not both and, you know, and, and it, it certainly, you know, exemplified with the original Rhapsody introduction, like with the first, in, you know, the first plan that was announced post next reunification, which was a very, it was much, it was more or less uh, the next step operating system without carbon. It was, you're going to have to rewrite for Cocoa. I don't even know if they'd called it Cocoa yet, but more or less, you know, it was more or less, we're going to, you know, we're going to do a, a, put a new... Apple style UI on the next step operating system. Right. And there was no, there's no carbon, right? no carbon. And that went over like a lead balloon and more or less like Microsoft said, we're not doing that because it, it, it would be a rewrite. Right. And everybody knows, you know, going from these existing code bases on the Mac uh, to pure next step would have been, a, it's a complete rewrite. It's a all new platform. And they were going, no, we're not going to do it. And Adobe was like, nope, does, that's that is not its starter, and they, Apple announced it right. I mean, and then they had to backtrack, and that's Forstall's decision. It was Forst, Scott Forstall who really was the champion of carbon within Apple, uh, which I still think is one of the most telling stories that that paints Forstall as as a, a complex figure. You know, it, it's there's no way to just say, oh, he was a he was a jerk, and so they fired him. Um, because if that was true, I mean, and he was a guy who, you know, I think he went to work at Next right out of college. I mean, he'd been at, I mean, I think all he'd ever done in professional life was work for for Next. And it was the only platform he knew. And yet he was the guy spearheading, um, we need to support, we need to create this carbon thing to support this legacy stuff. You know, whereas the public, the perception from outside Apple was that the Next people came in and had no respect for the Mac stuff that was already there. And it couldn't be further. I mean, there might be some people who are like that, but Forstall exemplifies that it, you know. There were 
there here was a guy who couldn't have been more pure blood next who was pushing for carbon which was what got them on board and i think it was the right decision but i think jobs always resented that they had to do that right that Abs- they, absolutely right it's the fact that they didn't control their own destiny yeah and the, yeah and that's yeah and that that is so core to to apple now and and you know the way the way they think about all their business. Yeah. Uh, let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor of the show, Casper. You heard about Casper? I have. Casper is amazing. It sounds amazing. Sounds like something I'm making up. Sounds like an April Fool's joke. They're an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Uh, sounds like an April Fool's joke. You go online and buy a mattress? No, seriously, this is what you do. You go there. They've it's truly it's revolu- it's a t- complete different approach than the standard mattress industry. None of this confusing uh, product names. The the regular mattress makers, it's all it's it's seriously it is I don't even think it's any exaggeration to call it a cartel. They 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 keep prices high. They use all these confusing product names for their mattresses to make it as difficult as possible to comparison shop. Because when you go to one store and try the Sealy, whatever, whatever, and then you go to another store and try a Sealy, that product isn't even there. It's all got different names, even though it's the exact same mattress. And therefore, it makes it really, really hard to tell which one is which. Forget about all that nonsense. You go to Casper's website, and they have one mattress technology. It is... uh, one-of-a-kind thing. It is a hybrid mattress that combines premium latex foam with memory foam. Uh, I've, I've had one sent to me. I've tried it. It's really good. I don't like pure memory foam mattresses. It is not like that at all. It's not some kind of thing where you get up off the bed and there's like a corpse shape bedded in the mattress, which I, I, I don't like that at all. It's not like that at all. They use just enough of the memory foam style stuff that it just makes it comfortable while you're laying there. Um, Great mattress, really great. Shows up at your door in a box. It's a big box, but it is not a mattress-sized box. It is, a, this to me is the most amazing part of it, is it shows up in like a little like like a dorm room refrigerator box. And you think there's a there's a queen-size mattress in there, a king-size mattress? Well, take it up to the room where you want it. And again, they tell you this in the instructions. Do not open the box in another room. Go to the room, go to your bedroom, you open the box, and whoosh, all of a sudden there's a mattress. It's amazing. Uh, prices are fantastic. Regular mattresses, premium mattresses, usually sell for over fifteen hundred bucks, two thousand or more. Uh, Casper mattresses are way lower than that. Five hundred for a twin size mattress, seven fifty for full, eight fifty for queen size, and just nine hundred and fifty bucks for a king size mattress. Truly, truly great prices. Uh, and here's the thing: they totally understand. Casper understands that. Buying a mattress online without ever feeling it, without trying it out, laying down on it, uh, seems weird. Seems like, you know, even 950 bucks, even though it's a great price, who wants to spend a thousand bucks on a mattress that you never even tried? So here's the deal it's completely risk free. You don't like it, up to a hundred days, they'll just, if you don't like it, just call them up, say, I don't want it, up to a hundred days, they'll come and get it from you and take it back and give you your money back. It's that simple. Statistically, here's the thing they have. Lying on a bed for four minutes in a showroom has no correlation with your eventual satisfaction to the mattress. So the fact that you can try them in retail stores doesn't even matter in terms of finding when you're actually going to like to sleep. Uh, and Casper, they, 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 I forget what their old demo period was, but it was less than a hundred days. And so few people 
were sending back their mattresses that they extended it to 100 days because they were so confident once they had data that people really, really love their Casper mattresses. Um, so that's everything you need to know. Uh, oh, one more thing. They're made in America, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, made right here in the USA. So here's what you do. Go to caspersleep.com slash talk show. Caspersleep.com slash talk show. Uh, and you'll save some bucks and uh, you, they'll know you came from, uh, from the show. So my thanks to them. If you need a mattress, go check them out at caspersleep.com slash talk show. All right. What else do you want to talk about? What else do I want to talk about? Uh, well, it's actually been it's in, it's been a pretty busy week. Um, the, uh, the I thought the the title thing was interesting. The music thing I wrote about that. Um, the Jay Z streaming service. There's been the Amazon button, which I love. You 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 were you were debating if it's either if it's genius or or stupid. I think it's I think it's absolutely genius. Um, All right, we've already that's a good list. I, let's 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 see if we can tackle some of these quickly. Uh, the Jay-Z music service. I think it, here's my take. I haven't read in detail. I've, it's, you're right. It's been a busy week. My high level take on it. What's it called? Uh, title. T-I-D-A-L. Like, like the ocean tide. Title. Right. Number one, bad name because it's indistinguishable audibly from title. Like yep. your, you know, T-I-T-L-E. Bad product name. This to me reeks of, uh, Everybody, well, I don't know that we know, but we're pretty close to knowing that Beats Audio, Apple's Beats Audio is relaunching soon under, I don't know if it's going to keep the name or if it's going to be rebranded under iTunes or Apple or something like that, you know, Apple Music, who knows, um, but it's coming. I think probably at WWDC uh, oh. and if not soon thereafter but i think they would love to announce it at wwdc uh everybody knows it's coming and it just this title thing from jay-z sounds like well let's hurry up and announce something beforehand and well i mean it is it is it is shipping like you can sign up for it right now um but it's 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 I think it's just pretty much a rebrand of the service that they bought. The, the thing that I found interesting with, in relation to the Apple thing was there was um, – um, well, first off, there was some reports at the end of last year, I think originally New York Post, about about Jimmy Iovine and Apple trying to sign up exclusives for their service. And it, after the title launch, there was an interview with Jay-Z in, in Billboard where they asked him specifically about, about competing with Iovine. And, and he said he's like speaking with Billboard – about bidding competitively with Ivy and behind the scenes of title and beach respective launches, Jay Z said, uh, "My thing with Jimmy is, listen, Jimmy, you're Jimmy Ivy, you're an Apple. Truthfully, you're great. Da, 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 da. Saying you don't have to do this. We don't have, like. I don't have to lose in order for you guys to win. Let's just remember that. Like, <laughs> sorry, Jay Z. Uh, yeah, as long as Ivy is with Apple, Apple will absolutely be out to win." And um, they're not going to play nicely for the good of music. And it, it, it just is very convenient that the good of music, according to this group, is um, happens to be very good for them personally. Uh, and um, and actually it happens to be good for their labels, too. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm skeptical. Um, it doesn't really change anything. And if it doesn't change anything uh, and if there's not going to be any meaningful exclusives in particular – 
um, then they're competing on the merits of the product. And well, presumably, so, they'll have some exclusives from Jay Z. <laughs> I don't well, know. There's going to be, but others. they don't. The only no? the, the only exclusive they have at launch that is meaningful is Rihanna's latest single. Hmm. Um, uh, they don't really have anything else. People report they have Taylor Swift's back catalog, but Taylor Swift's back catalog is on Beats right now. It's on RDO. It's on any service that doesn't have a free tier. Like yeah. her objection was always to the to the free tier. Right. Um, so no, they don't really have any exclusives, and they won't have exclusives because to put to, from a label perspective, and frankly from an artist perspective, to have an exclusive is dumb. Like the cost in making music is upfront; it's actually recording the music. Like once it's recorded, you want to get it in as many channels as possible, right? Because you, your your marginal cost is zero, so you want to sell as many as possible, which means having it everywhere. And so the very idea of exclusive. Like it just doesn't like all the all you're having like a mixture of of business models and stuff like that, um, and which means that all all the leftists compete with on on the product and well you've got to get free- you've got to get something in exchange. Look at when the Apple landed the Beatles catalog. It clearly that was in exchange for uh, 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 an enormous marketing campaign. Yep. Right. I mean, there Apple was running Beatles ads. Apple was paying for them. It was an enormous campaign to promote it. You have to get something. You can't just say, okay, it's an exclusive and it's only on this thing. You've got to be getting – to do that, you've got to be getting something either promotional or cash you know, to make it worthwhile. Right, and the, and, and the ones that control it or especially anything in the back catalog, it's mostly the labels. And like they're – the label's interest is having – is like they're fine to have a bunch of these guys like competing with each other. Um and I mean that's why I'm I'm long term you know bearish on Spotify. Like I I don't like subscription services in general. Um, I think they're great value for the consumer, but they're you know I think they're a bad idea for most for for most artists. Um, but like as as long as they as long as they exist, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. I was getting a little worked up. <laughs> well, here's my thing on Jay Z's attitude. That's the one. That's the one thirty a.m. Lost the train of thought. You don't have to. You don't have to win, or we don't have to lose for you to win. Blah blah blah. Uh, compare and contrast to video. With video, the, Apple doesn't have their own uh, custom content, right? Apple doesn't have Apple produced shows, so Apple can treat Netflix and HBO uh, Go and HBO. What's the new one? HBO Now. Uh, yep. You know, and, you know, Apple doesn't have to, you know, there is no competition with Apple. Well, guess what? Apple does sell music, and Apple's view on how much of the music out there they should be selling is all of it. Well, not just that, but this, if, you know, if and when Apple launches a streaming service, that's a zero-sum game. No one is going to be subscribed to multiple streaming services. Right. Yeah, that's another good example. Right, because people, yeah, and that's another difference with video where you might, I, in fact, I am both a Netflix subscriber and an HBO subscriber because I want to watch both shows that are on exclusive to Netflix and exclusive to HBO. Right, where, but they're, but those are but those are like their vertical business models, like they're Apple-like in a way, right? They're using their exclusive content to get you to sign up for their service because you can only get House of Cards on Netflix. You can right. only get... Game of Thrones on, on HBO. Whereas when it comes to to the catalog to the, to music, because it's controlled by the labels and they want to be everywhere, that means all the services end up having pretty much the same stuff. Uh, what else was going on this week? Well, along those lines, actually, I thought um, I I love this story because it was so it, like it was so classic Apple. It's funny. I thought we weren't going to talk about Apple at all, but, but um, I guess the way, that's the way it goes. Uh, there's a story yesterday in Recode about how. 
Apple is going to get uh, for their TV service. They want to get the the networks to pay for the streaming. So basically, Apple will sign up all the networks all on there, and instead of the networks delivering their content to Apple and then Apple streams to the Apple TV, they will all they'll stream individually to to the Apple TV. And the quote here is great. Uh, Eddie Q, heads of the company's media efforts and leading negotiations for the streaming service, has told them that Apple feels it should concentrate on what it's best at, creating consumer hardware and software, and leave other tasks like streaming infrastructure for people who specialize in it. Um, <laughs> this is this is so great uh, on multiple levels. It's great because, one, it's true. Um, and honestly, I don't want Apple <laughs> focusing on the streaming. I don't want Chinese dubbing. Um, two... Uh, you missed that because you were actually at the first Apple. Event. Yeah, and the um, one the one where I couldn't make it last last month was great. The streaming the stream was perfect for me. And the, um, the only complaint I saw of others was that other people seemed to get on one that was a minute or two behind. Yeah, that's that's the case with streaming always. I I like, I, I watch the NBA a lot uh, a week past, and I'm always slightly behind Twitter, which sucks because something big will happen, and I'll see it first. Um, but uh. But anyhow, so so this, this Apple thing. Um, Wouldn't that be a cool you know, Twitter client feature if you could tell your Twitter client to put you five minutes behind? It would be, yeah, it would be, it'd be fantastic. Oh, that, yeah. Tw- oh, Twitter, we were going to talk about that, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, same the other thing, the, the other thing that's the other thing that's great about this is, um, is this is this is what Apple does again and again in industry after industry, is because Apple has such a dominant hold on the consumer and the customer relationship. What they end up doing is they get other people to do the really expensive, uh, undifferentiated commodity work for them. And then and then Apple gets to blame them when anything goes wrong. So like with the iPhone, right? What's the actual expensive part of of an iPhone? It's all it's the carrier service. Like the the amount of money it costs to build up a, a network is 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 massive. Uh, but Apple doesn't do any of that. They get the carriers to do it for them and the carriers and and when the call goes bad and you can't get online, do you blame Apple? No, you blame AT&T. And, and then they leverage that into getting Verizon to take it because Verizon's <laughs> losing customers to AT&T. And, and you see this Apple do this again and again. Like they get the banks. They, the banks are paying Apple yeah. for the privilege of Apple Pay. Why? Because the banks are fearful that people will switch banks just to get access to Apple Pay. And – and now they're going to do this with this network thing that the networks like are looking for alternative revenue streams. They want to get they want to be a part of the Apple thing. And Apple, you can you can see it like Apple has them reeled in. And then Apple's like, oh, by the way, we're not so good at this streaming thing. Why don't you take care of that? Guess what? That's that is really expensive and there's no value add. It's a pure commodity. And Apple is going to somehow get out of paying it. I had, a, I had an interesting conversation, uh, email conversation yesterday with our friend uh, Darth of, you know, the the greatest guy on the internet yes the, the with the greatest avatar yeah uh and he was surprised by it because he's his take was apple he was surprised that apple wouldn't want to control that because and his take and i think he's right here is that if the stream for somebody's stream on this new apple tv is shitty people are going to blame apple because we may know as insiders that apple the way that they've architected this is that you bring your own streaming technology you know uh you know, you bring your your own servers and streaming stuff. Uh, the consumer isn't going to know that. The consumer's well, just going to know. What if, I bought the new Apple TV and I went to uh, whatever it is. The I wanted to watch the NBA thing and the stream sucked. Uh, Apple TV sucks. But what if every stream works except for that one? 
Like well, what it, C, CBS is, is is patchy, but every other stream works fine. Like right. it, then who, who is going to get blamed? Right. Maybe then a, even a consumer would figure out, uh, you know, oh, I guess I should blame the NBA. Uh, I mean, we, we, we had this we were having this conversation on Twitter uh, last night about about this topic. <laughs> and and someone pointed out that um, if you want to take a cynical view of things, uh, Steve Jobs managed to successfully blame the iPhone four on people holding it wrong. So never don't, don't <laughs> you can always ask just how far Apple can uh, can get people to admit. Actually, it was our fault. Well, uh, well and the other fact, I think it's complicated. Though. The other factor is some of these companies really do do streaming well. Netflix streaming is pretty excellent. Uh, MLB has fantastic streaming, and that it's so they're so good at it that they're actually white labeling it for a whole HBO. bunch of. I forget how. Yeah, I guess they're they're going to do HBO, right? Yeah, they're doing HBO. They're doing yeah, they're doing a whole bunch of folks. Yeah, My they've built up some. I'll make a prediction right here, which is that, and I know that HBO's like go crapped out with Game of Thrones last year. Uh, now that they're backed by MLB, I'm going to make a prediction that it's going to go well. Because I think the MLB stuff is really, really good. I, the only times I ever have problems are when I'm pretty sure that it's my Comcast connection and everything in the house seems to be pretty slow. MLB, the MLB Technologies Group does streaming amazingly well. It's a really great group. So I think they're going to do well. And I think, I think the problem for some of those, you know, like MLB, I think you Apple would have a very difficult time getting MLB on board with the Apple, a new Apple TV if they couldn't use their own streaming. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. I don't, I don't see how they would do it. You know, I think they've put such an investment into it, and they trust it so completely that uh, I think they'd have a hard time getting people to do it. And I think it's in the interest of these companies like Netflix and MLB to control their own streaming so that they're not tied to Apple's device. That, to me, is the difference, that they're not looking to lock people in. The thing no, that, that struck that, me... Another great point. The other thing that struck me about it, though, is that if this is it and Apple has no... Like, what I guess what I would kind of hope to see Apple do is if you want to bring your own streaming, bring your own streaming. If you don't, there's a different tier, and maybe Apple Apple would obviously have to take a bigger cut of the revenue because they'd be providing it. But it would be interesting and neat to me if Apple had an option where a channel could use relay, relay on Apple, rely on Apple to provide all the backend infrastructure, so that truly small indie channels could exist for Apple TV, right? Like the App Store, so that three guys could start a uh, you know Apple TV channel. And without paying, you know, an arm and a leg for a massive back end for streaming the video. That all you need is the camera and the production stuff and you send the video to Apple and Apple takes care of everything else. Yeah, I I, I don't think so. And it, I I mean that's that's I think a harder job than it than it sounds like because I mean how many three guys in a camera are you gonna allow? Yeah. Gonna well, that? I don't know. Like, is it gonna that, be an app store? YouTube, but if it's an app store, Right, like I don't think they build them all in. I think you know, I don't think it's going to be like you oh, turn on the app, you know, like it is now, where it's you. You turn on an Apple, a new Apple TV today, you get all the channels, and I think there's a way you can hide the ones you don't want to see, but they're all there. Um, I'm thinking of more like an app store type thing, where if you wanted to get a channel, you know, like uh, you ever seen these YouTube videos? Uh, you probably have because I know you're into stuff like this. There's crazy successful YouTubers who do things like there's a woman who makes a huge amount of money. Nobody even knows what her name is. Um, 
unboxing Disney toys. All she does is un- <laughs> unbox Disney toys. I am aware, and no, I do not watch. But no, I don't think you're I, – I wasn't saying that I think you're a subscriber to her channel. <laughs> I'm saying it seems to me that you'd be aware that she exists, that she's making yes. a terrific living doing nothing but unboxing Disney toys. Yep, and kids love it. And kids love it. So I'm just saying that uh, why wouldn't Apple maybe want to disrupt Google and have her, let her make – an Apple TV channel, and it wouldn't show up by default. Everybody wouldn't get the woman who un- unboxes Disney toys channel on their Apple TV. <laughs> but if you wanted it, you'd go to the App Store for Apple TV and get it, and you could put it on your homepage. And it wouldn't go through YouTube; it would just go through Apple. Like it to- is interesting though, to think about, like what what will the user interface look like? Like, will you be able to? Will it stay kind of like it is? And you know, if you get if you get the the bundle that people are talking about Apple getting, like, will you be able to only have the channels slash apps that you want to have on there? Yeah, or will there be a specific TV app where, and then it operates more like a traditional TV? Um, I would, I mean, if you think about it, like, why would Apple want to just recreate kind of a broken paradigm? Um, that's interesting. Well, and it also ties back to something you mentioned like an hour ago, which was the... Uh, with every major platform, Apple's unveiled a new input device. You know, yeah, the rem- the remote, right? Uh, and again, they didn't invent the mouse, but they made the mouse mass market. Uh, they didn't invent. Well, well I that, guess they- that, that, that's that's the thing is like people people get so hung up on on the on the actual invention, and it's it by all means like invention is fantastic, but it is just as innovative to bring something to market in a meaningful way. Right. And that's what Apple does. Apple makes markets. Right. Like they made a market for the mouse. They made a market for for all these other devices. The click wheel, uh, right? Spinning right. device. Well, and- they made the market for MP3 players and they made the market for smartphones. It doesn't mean they made the smartphone, right. but making the market is more meaningful, it's more profitable, and frankly, it's much more difficult. And they made the market for touchscreens. I mean, and again, touchscreens have existed for a long, long time. But they made the market to make it a mass market technology. No other product had a mass market touchscreen before the iPhone. Yeah. And and that's where everyone benefits because right. th- then they get the, the cost comes down uh, because it, you know it gets scale. Um, so my question is, do they have something like that for a new Apple TV? Because the whole up down left right thing is <laughs> not innovative. I wouldn't be surprised if we're still stuck with up down left right select play. Uh, hopefully, God Almighty, please God, not infrared, please. Bluetooth oh, for God's no sake. No kidding. Honestly, if it comes out, if they come out with a new Apple TV and it's an infrared remote, I, I I'm, I'm gonna, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. I was gonna say I'd sell all my Apple stock, but I don't own any Apple stock. <laughs> I'm gonna buy, I would buy Apple stock just so I could sell it. <laughs> I think you're gonna sell your Apple stuff. I'm like, that seems a little extreme. No, I wish I owned Apple. It would make me wish I owned Apple stock so I could sell it. Uh, it would it would be very upsetting, but I I wouldn't be surprised if it's Bluetooth remote and just up down left right select and play. Uh, but I would love it if they've got something right. I'd love it if they have something that makes it better. So I don't know. I mean, do, so I mean, the, uh, John Pizalski and he's now at um, BuzzFeed. You know, said reported that there's gonna be a new device and actually has an eight chip. It has a meaningful amount of storage for apps and an app store. Um, 
And he pointed out that the Apple TV, it says starting at $69, which it also ends at $69 currently. Right. Um, So you're buying the, uh, there's going to be multiple Apple TVs, one of which has an app store and... I don't know. Maybe that's starting at. Maybe we're all reading way too much into the starting at sixty nine dollars. Because I don't understand if they come out with a new one. Why in the world wouldn't they just get rid of the old one? Why would they even want to make it available if it's running an entire, you know, entirely because, different platform? Because the sixty nine dollar point I think is important, and this is a huge mistake that Microsoft made. Um, Microsoft wanted like the whole reason for the Xbox, the big picture strategic reason, uh, was that they wanted to own the living room, and the idea was. We'll start with a console and, and then we'll expand into all these functions so that we own that screen. And that yeah. was the whole three screens in a cloud sort of thing. The problem with that is they started in the wrong place. And they started in a place that meant it had to be expensive. And as long as mm-hmm. the Xbox was several hundred dollars, um, you know, they were never going to crack the mass market. And and I think that, you know, that is that's a cautionary tale. And I think Apple and all the other folks, Google and uh, and and Amazon and Roku, they're taking the better approach, which is delivering kind of a minimum viable product for a device and keeping the price low. And then when and if Apple brings this out, and maybe Apple does want to come go go up against the consoles. Maybe they do want to like really dominate that space. Uh, to do that, you're gonna. I mean, you're gonna have to spend some money. Uh, but you don't want to, but you don't want to lose the accessibility and having the core function of the TV accessible to lots of people. So I, I think the multiple model approach actually makes a, a ton of sense. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, I do think there's a chance that they're going, that there might be some classic, uh, Christensen style disruption potential there again. And I know I'm not a gaming expert, but I think the A8 is good enough, and it's you know it's not going to render as many you know polygons per frame as you know the PS4 or the Xbox One. Um, but if it's only ninety nine dollars, it might and it might be good enough because it you know in terms of how many pixels are on a 1080 HD screen, it's fewer. There's not that many, yeah. right? It's fewer than than the iOS devices the A8 already handles. I, so I've actually argued both sides of this. Um, like I, 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 I was all about the Apple TV and its potential um, uh, previously. And I don't. I, I. This is why the 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 biggest question to me about the new Apple TV is you were kind of hinting at it. It's it's the input method, right? Uh, I think as long as if the Apple TV does not have a controller, like a proper controller. Uh, the traditional consoles are going to be safe. Now, their growth might be capped. Like, they're going to have trouble finding new customers. But they they will, the current kind of hardcore gamers will be there. And it, it's a large enough market that the publishers will stay and it will still continue to be a profitable industry. The, what gets really interesting is if app, the this if there is this, this mythical higher level Apple TV, uh, and it has a proper controller, and I think we're talking more like 199 or 179, maybe. Um, that is where like meaningful disruption becomes a, a possibility. Yeah, like I think I, I don't know the whole disruption thing. And I've written about this a few times. Like I, I think that if I have lots of 
I think the 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 core theory is 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 really compelling and explains a lot of stuff. But uh, um, you know, I've picked nuts with the whole modular integrated sort of stuff. Yeah. But uh, oh god, one there thing, goes another one thing, hour. <laughs> <laughs> one thing one thing that bothers me uh, uh, about that is it's kind of assumed with once a company's disrupted that it it like they're done. Like they're doomed, they're going to go out of business, and like that's actually what Christensen said. I think what it, the way it turns out, though, and we've seen this play out, is that a company, comp- and this is partly because the market is just so huge now. Because the way it happens, disruption is the lower the lower guy comes in and he's capturing customers that the that the incumbent doesn't care about, and then he expands, captures more of customers, and the incumbent retreats to the high end. And the problem is the high end becomes so small relative to the mass market that everyone, all the supporting players flee the high market and they, they serve the mass market and then the big the incumbent is is dumped is doomed. Um, the problem is the market is just so huge. Like you need and we've talked about this with the Apple thing. Like you need to not think about things in relative terms. Apple has X percent of the market. You need to look at absolute numbers. Apple has hundreds of millions of customers, right? It doesn't matter if they have 10% of the market or 15% of the market, if 10% or 15% of the market is hundreds of millions of people. Because hundreds of millions of people is plenty to support developers and keep them on board and all that sort of stuff. And this is the fundamental thing that people like Henry Blodgett get wrong consistently about, about their thesis about why the iPhone is doomed. I think this is the case with, this is my th- thing about consoles is that as long as they're dedicated, there's so many people, even in a percentage basis that's small, there's so many people that play these games. It will remain a, a space where you can build a nice business and have a nice business the problem is you're just not going to grow, and um, and I don't know. I think I'm repeating myself a bit now, but I think that it. I don't know. I'm super excited about the Apple TV in particular, mainly because it's I'll it could you, go in so many directions. I'll keep you focused till we till we land this ship. Uh, <laughs> let me do one last sponsor, and then we'll wrap up the show. But it's our good friends at Igloo. Now you guys know Igloo; they're the intranet that you will actually like. You can share news, organize files, coordinate calendars, manage project, projects, anything you'd want to do with a team, with a company, uh, you can do on the Igloo platform. Their latest upgrade, they call it Viking, revolves around documents and how you interact with them, gather feedback, and make changes. Um, they've even added the ability to track who has read critical information to keep everyone on the same page. So if you're in a type of organization where sometimes there's a document, that everybody, somebody absolutely needs to see and sign off on and get approval, you can do that and get proof of it, like more or less like a red receipt for an iMessage or an email. You can get that for a document now in Igloo. Very important for some, uh, some, some organizations. If you've been holding off on Igloo for that, now they've got it. Uh, just like red receipts for email, really, but less annoying because they have a good interface for it. Uh, if your company has a legacy intranet that looks like it was built in the 90s, uh, and it probably was built in the 90s, uh, you should give Igloo a try. They've got all this, all sorts of other cool stuff, uh, like Twitter-like microblogs. Imagine having a private Twitter-like service just for your team, uh, totally private. Uh, their stuff, their, their service, everything works on any kind of device. It's all web-based, so you can use it on big desktop machine. Works great on phones. Uh, tablets, anything like that, and really customizable, uh, free to use for up to 10 people. So you can try it out, find out everything you want to know about it before you start paying for more than 10 people to use it. 
and you can sign up at, here's the website, igloosoftware.com slash TTS, the initials for this show, the talk show, igloosoftware.com slash TTS. Uh, sign up there, you get the free trial, use that uh, URL with slash TTS, and they'll know you came from the show. Really great. Give it a try. It's worth going to their website if you've never done it just to check out the uh, sandwich videos that they have um, to promote the site. They're really funny from uh, our good friend uh, Adam Lisa Gore's company. So go there just to watch the sandwich videos if you haven't done it. But sign up if you have any kind of need for an internet for your team. Really great stuff. And uh, I thank Igloo for their continued support of uh, Daring Fireball. What else you want to talk about, Ben? You want to talk about well, basketball? Or should we talk about <laughs> maybe we should? Hey, Wisconsin, man, final, final, final four. I'm rooting for him. That's that's my team in the final four. But that's that's not. We better not get into that. We've got real stuff to talk about. What about Mere, you want to do Meerkat and Periscope? Sure. I, I, I've, I, I told my my members that I was going to be writing about it like three weeks ago, and I still haven't written. I wrote a couple of pieces about basically I said that, you know, Meerkat is almost certainly doomed. Would you would um, you call this the, the, the coincidental rise of the two? Another one of those things like you mentioned before, like just in the history of science, you know, like going all the way back to Newton and Leibniz with uh, calculus being, you know, developed pretty much simultaneously separately by the two geniuses is this another one of those things where like meerkat and periscope more or less arrived uh at the same time it's just like everything was in the right everything got to the right place at the right time no absolutely i mean the idea of live streaming is in a new one and there's there are services that are out there that have had some success like you now i think is actually has is a lot bigger than people realize um but the idea, the having the connectivity everywhere, having LTE everywhere, like it, it gets really dodgy on 3G. So you need you need yeah. LTE, you need the quality cameras, you need uh, the app store, you need the Twitter, you know, the Twitter graph. You need, um, and you also need, I think, you need data uh, packages with sufficient gigabytes per month that people feel comfortable yep. cons- consuming and sharing. Uh, video streaming video content like this which is it's it's part of your lte but you know lte in itself isn't enough if it's not affordable enough that people feel like they can just sit there and watch people you know making these videos right exactly exactly and so no i think it's a it's a great example of the time was right for this product to emerge and and it just so happened like to emerge within like two weeks of each other I described it as a, like a science fiction scenario, and there was some pushback from people like that. Like, oh, come on, live streaming isn't new; it's not new. So, th- you know, what is science fiction about this? To me, the part that science fiction is the uh, uh, universality, the the way that anybody can do it. You don't yeah. need you don't. It's all free. You don't pay for anything other than what you've already paid for, which is your iPhone and your data plan. Well, to me, it's the size. It's like it's it's this this. Four point five inch device that is doing this, like yep. that, the the sort of equipment that was needed to do just video, much less like yeah, you could live stream twenty years ago. You needed a big ass camera, you needed like a microwave connection, you needed a van with a massive satellite dish on top of it. Like I, you're you're doing exactly that with a piece of glass in your hand. I think the thing, and I think the thing that is the most science fictiony in terms of if you went back. 20 years and described periscoping to somebody 20 years ago or let alone longer but the most amazing aspect of it to me is that 
the device for producing and the device for consuming is exact and the app it's the same app and device for being a producer as a consumer you yep. use your iphone with periscope or meerkat to create a stream or to consume it and that to me is the magic and it's so easy to overlook because it seems so obvious once you see it in action but that's revolutionary that the no. Right? Like your TV set is not a TV studio. Yeah. It is anything but. It doesn't even have, you know, it's, it's just unrelated. Right. Cause it, this gives much more of the sense of it being like a portal, right? It's like you're, you're, you're in one side and out the other. Whereas, whereas previous live streaming, it's, a one, it's, it's unidirectional. Like it's coming from the studio to your TV. Yeah, there wasn't the sense, even if even if a mirror kaleidoscope is one way, that it, it it's con the container is such that it's a bi-directional relationship. It is crazy to me. I think it's so exciting and funny that it's the same device for somebody you know, like uh, somebody with ten thousand followers, you know, ten, twenty, thirty thousand followers who gets hundreds and hundreds, maybe a thousand people watching their streams, they're using an iPhone with Periscope to send that. And all the people watching it are using an iPhone with Periscope to watch it. It's the exact same device and the exact same app. Yeah. I mean, it's it, 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 like I, I haven't like I, I'm with you. I mean, the first so I really um, I, I was at the Apple, the, the, the watch event, um, the second one that you missed. And March 9th. I, yeah, and I started, and that was when I really started using it. Was I was using it in line, standing outside, like before the event started. I, I was saw, sitting. In I the saw theater. you. I saw you on the stream. I saw you standing up. You had a seat. I think you're in like the third row, and I saw you standing up on your phone. And I, I texted you. I was like, "You're on the stream, and you're on your phone, and you're like, I'm meerkatting." <laughs> yeah, and it was it, like it was mind blowing. Like you look up there and you see you had like 350 people, you know, like watching you. Like there are 350 people. Like all over the world. I mean, you are you you write a website, right? It's already amazing. You can look at your analytics and you see like someone logging on from like Brazil or Russia or you know wherever it may be, and like that's already mind blowing enough. But the immediacy of knowing like someone is sitting somewhere six thousand miles away from me and they are seeing exactly what I'm seeing, and because I am holding up this device, like it it it's it it's an incredible it's an incredible experience. Right. The truth is, though, I th I'm with you. I think Meerkat is fucked, and I think it was obvious. I think it was obvious even before Periscope came out. Just from, and I'm not an expert on social media. I, I you know, I, I mean, I'm a nerd and I follow this stuff. But I thought it, and I, but Meerkat caught my attention. I was like, oh, this is something, and I see this. But then Twitter immediately got word out that they had purchased because here to before Meerkat came out, the fact that Twitter had bought Periscope was not public knowledge. Right. Um, they bought. Periscope, and I, I don't know if it's on the record or if it's just rumored, but for $100 million, which, if it's true, I think was rivals. I, I think it's going to end up rivaling uh, Facebook's purchase of Instagram for $1 billion as one of the great acquisitions of this decade. I really no, abso do. Absolutely. I think, it, I think if they got Periscope for $100 million, it's going to go down as uh, a great acquisition and exhibit A in the case that Dick Costello is actually a pretty good CEO. I think. No, uh, I, I I agree. And the reason the reason why Meerkat is screwed is because um what is so power like what one the thing about Twitter is um Twitter is so many things to so many different people in so many different scenarios, right? Like that's what makes it so great and that's what makes it so 
hard to use for a new user in particular. But for sure, one of the core values of Twitter is real time. Yes. Right. When something happens, you yep. go to Twitter, you can search, you can get the reaction. We talked about it just a second ago with watching a, a game and how annoying it is when Twitter is like five seconds ahead. Right. And that's how real time it is. Like Twitter is faster than my stream of the game. And it's frustrating. Like and but and so both Meerkat and Twitter are. And the reason why Meerkat is a th was a threat to Twitter and why it's a good thing they had acquired Periscope was that it was unbundling one of the core features of Twitter because real time in text is one thing, but real time in video is is another thing entirely in a dramatically more powerful way. So you have someone tweeting about uh, like a fire going on or the plane crash. Like I was tweeting when the plane crash happened in Taiwan a few a, a or few the ago. built the the gas explosion in new york last week right yeah no exactly which happened to be like the day periscope came out so 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 helpful um uh, that has a um that that is like that has to be twitter because twitter has twitter has to has to own that yeah and yeah, and that's why Meerkat is screwed because because they're they're so fundamentally tied to what Twitter is. Like Twitter already owns the real time space, which means all the people that you want to find or follow in real time are already on Twitter. Which means you have to have access to the Twitter graph to to and and they now don't. So for anybody, and I know uh, Periscope, and, and there's it just seems like the writing's already on. We don't even need to analyze it because. Per Meerkat has really dropped precipitously in the App Store rankings, and Periscope is at the top and Apple is promoting it heavily. Um, and I think you can't beat the first party integration with Twitter, right? No matter, even if Meerkat had been allowed the, to keep the, the access to the social graph that they had and that Twitter pulled uh, a couple weeks ago, even if they had kept that, that wouldn't have helped them because it's not it, being a third party thing built on top of Twitter is never going to be as integrated as a first party thing within Twitter. Second of all, the technology is clearly better on Periscope side. Just technologically, it is much closer to live. Um, and for anybody out there who hasn't used either of these apps, um, the basic gist, you should get Periscope, I, in my opinion. I think you could probably skip Meerkat at this point, but get Periscope, get your username. Uh, I think it's really interesting. I'm about to. I've still got notifications on. I'm probably going to turn that off soon because it's starting to. Be they just announced. They did a post yesterday saying that. Oops, sorry, we over. <laughs> which and this annoys me. Like you could tell from Meerkat the way notifications needed to be, and they still shipped it wrong. Um, that worries me. But like, yeah, because the problem is notifications are essential though. Yeah. Because yes. like. That, that, that's how you like following it on Twitter. You're always late. You have to get the notification and that's how you catch the live stream. Yeah. Obviously Periscope has, has, it keeps the streams around for a period of time, but if you want to be live, it, so you don't want to turn it off but at the same time, the way it's implemented now, it's, it's overwhelming. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to start Periscoping me talking to you right now. So it'll be very meta. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, <laughs> that would be great. Um, uh, I've thought about it. people keep asking me, am I going to start periscoping while I broadcast the the show? I don't think so because I don't see how I could get the audio from both sides through. And also, I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I want to be on camera. But I maybe do it briefly. Um, I'm doing talking about. I'm probably I'm like wearing like whatever. I was but, on Mere, I, I was actually temporarily like number four or number five on the Meerkat leaderboard. I saw that. I did. Um, but but then, then I, I stopped for a while talking about periscope. On the talk show with Gruber 
so meta. And I'm going to post it to Twitter. If you haven't used I'm it, starting the, the broadcast. The gist of it is is that you you know you get a one way. The producer's video is there, and you hear them, you see them, you see you either rough. see them or you see what they're seeing if they have the camera pointed around the other way. Here it goes: 20, 20, 26 people, twenty eight people, twenty nine people, thirty two people, and they can comment. People, and then you can see their comments. Now they can't. You know, it's obviously not audio because that would be a mess. But oh man, see. John, the, the the hearts are flowing in. People are people are pleased with our. People are pleased with our, our stream. <laughs> uh, it, that, but the latency on Meerkat was at least 30 seconds on the comments, in my experience. I'm not as a, somebody broadcasting, but watching. And it really made for a slightly awkward experience where if the person who was on, if it was like a Q&A type thing, like, hey, ask me anything about what you, you know. Yep, I did, I did that. And it, it's, yeah, I didn't realize that the lag was so bad. And they're like, oh, no one's asking questions. Right. And I walk off. And then, like, I'd go on Twitter and there was like five gazillion questions there. So, right. And it's way behind. Whereas Periscope, it seems like it's really minimal, it's seconds behind. And you see a question. And if it's a good question, you see the person who's, you know, hosting the video. We'll test it. We'll test it right now. Uh, can someone type in the comments, uh, type John? Someone's asking how's oh yeah everyone okay stop stop that's enough stop. <laughs> John, John, like John, 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 John 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 people want to know how your eye is uh, uh, it's you know as steady as she goes I mean it's not this is gonna be this is very awkward when people listen to the podcast it's gonna be it's gonna be totally out of place yeah um, all right I'm I, enough someone people do want to know you know see I, you guys I later. Uh, it's, you know, according to the doctors, it's as good as could be hoped at this point. Uh, my vision is not good out of the eye, but it's, you know, better than being blind. Long story short, but I, it's not, I'm not expected. There's no expectation that, that, uh, my vision will be that it's, uh, as good as it will be yet. It's, you know, should take months before it settles in. And I still have the gas, still have the gas bubble in there. So it's still relatively, um, it's you know impossible to judge. Are you going to be able to go to WDC or? Oh yeah, definitely. Well, it, I can't say definitely, but it's supposed to be six to ten weeks for the gas bubble to fully dissolve, and it was February twenty four. So four weeks was March twenty four. So now it's five weeks. So it should be sometime within the month of April. I don't yeah. think I can't book travel. There's no way I would book a flight in April. Uh, I think by May I should be good, and by the end of May for sure, because that's way past ten weeks, and it's definitely shrinking. So that's you know. But I have to. I need to go there, and they need to look in my eye and verify that the gas bubble is completely gone before I can get on an airplane. I can't just that, like. That, pick that, it that's up. a wise. That's a wise course of action. Yeah, although I oh. think that if it was there, but truly tiny, like the last day or two, I could do it because. You know, the whole thing is that you go on – if you if I went on an airplane and the air pressure changed, the gas bubble would greatly increase in size. But if it was tiny, even if it greatly increased in size, it wouldn't make a difference. The issue is if it's of any reasonable size, it would increase big enough that it would, you know, be ex- – did I, did I say this on the show? I read a book about it. I read like an actual – I found like through Google an actual textbook for um, retinal – surgeons it was you know like a medical textbook that google had indexed so i read about this procedure that i had uh and it it goes into great detail about this restriction that things you need to do after this is you need to emphasize to your patient that you cannot get on an airplane until you have permission until it's gone and it goes into all this detail about how it would be excruciatingly painful if you Uh. if you did this and it's all this stuff about how much pain you would be in and then just one sentence at the end is that it would also likely render them blind 
<laughs> permanently blind. <laughs> and I'm like, the pain would be bad. It would be terrible to be in pain for a flight, but it's it's the permanent blindness that to me is a better selling point on hey, take this serious. <laughs> right, exactly. I, I don't I mean I, I I fortunately haven't had anything in my eye. Although I was warned the last time I saw the eye doctor, like they told me all the symptoms of a retinal tear because they're because I'm apparently at risk. Um so now you have me super paranoid. But I once took a flight where uh, I didn't even know before I got on the flight. Apparently, I had something in my sinuses. Oh. Um, and it was yeah. excruciating. Yeah. Like I was like I, – I at one point, I like the flight attendants finally let me lay on the floor in the back of the plane. Like I was – I was – it was unbelievable. Like I, and then the plane descended. I was totally fine. Yeah. Um, yep. Oh, man. So I can imagine that being in my eye. It right. sounds pretty crappy. Right. Um, so, so the, the interesting thing about about uh, uh, Periscope and Meerkat is um, we got totally side streamed by me <laughs> filming. Sorry about that. Uh, this is a good example to not uh, to not live stream your show. Um, but I think it really highlights what is what is valuable about Twitter, the company. And what's interesting is I'm not sure that the most valuable part of Twitter is like the Twitter app like the actual looking comments and stuff like that. What's valuable about Twitter, what makes Twitter unique and what makes Twitter um, potentially super valuable when it comes to advertising is it's the Twitter graph. And because the Twitter graph is what I'm interested in, right? Facebook, it's who I know. Uh, Google, it's what I'm searching for. Pinterest is interesting. It's kind of like what I aspire to, but Twitter, like it, it's what I'm interested in. The people that I follow, the things that I search for, the, the folks I interact with. You can really, if you want to, if an advertiser wants to understand Ben Thompson, like he just needs to understand my Twitter account and he will know me better than any other service will know me. Hmm. And what's interesting about that is the key then for Twitter is, is getting people to have a Twitter account and to kind of build up that profile. And, and they got, and what's funny is, like they they belatedly have the pieces and and so the Twitter app is interesting in a way that it helps understand me. I'm not sure it's the best place to monetize. It monetizes pretty well, but I think that's where they acquired um what's the company they acquired uh, a company that lets them put put ads uh, in other apps and stuff like that. Um, crap, it's escaping me. Uh, but I think that that's re it's really compelling to imagine a Twitter ad network that is fueled by uh, by knowing what I'm interested in. And then the ideally you would have lots of apps that the key to Twitter is not Twitter, the app, but it's Twitter, the login. And so imagine a world where you had lots of apps that use the Twitter credential, use the Twitter login. So you could have both Meerkat and Periscope and they would not be a part of Twitter. They would fight it out. But they would both log in with Twitter and they would necessarily log in with Twitter because if you, that's the graph that matters for a live app. Um, and then Twitter can monetize through their ad network. Like it's this alternative vision for Twitter that they kind of went away from back in the day when they shut off all the third-party clients and they decided, no, we're going to own our platform and we're going to be an ad displaying platform. Um, it's it, like it's 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 like a what if. Like Twitter back in 2012 when they walked out all the Twitter clients – they made the decision that we are going to monetize by showing ads on the Twitter app. And I think in retrospect, that might have been or it was probably a suboptimal decision because what was valuable was not the app. It was the identity. And 
And in some respects, Twitter, the app is like a minimum viable product of what you can do with someone's identity. But if if I if you know what someone's interested in, like you can build stuff like Periscope, you can build stuff like like Meerkat, you can build stuff like the Twitter app, you can build all kinds of of interesting stuff. And it's it's too bad that didn't happen. Um, and like Twitter now kind of had to buy Periscope. Yeah, I started a Periscope here. I just uh, saw that on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, and everybody wants uh, wanted me to talk, but I couldn't because you were going Sorry, on. I was, I was Ben was going it. on. That's why. Uh, that is why I wasn't talking. Uh, how many people are we up to here? Three hundred ninety-four. Holy shit! I don't know about these hearts. I think the hearts thing is. I don't know. People seem to love it, but I think it's. I don't know. I think it's weird, and I don't understand how the hell you. How do you know when you're sending hearts? It's like you hold your finger down and no, you just touch the screen. You touch the screen. And well, how do you know which it, ones are yours though? You don't. It yeah. just sends out. And what's the I don't understand the point of it. I don't understand it. You don't feel you don't feel loved and appreciated? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know. I feel like I feel like uh seeing four hundred and ninety five people on makes me feel appreciated or, or something. But uh I don't know, the hearts I don't get. Yeah, and that's the other thing that's the other thing that's interesting is um is the is the, people are saying that everybody gets a color, but I've got 563 people here. There are not 563 colors. <laughs> right. And how do I know who's who? I don't know. Um, well, the other thing, the, other thing the, the, the one... Oh, somebody got brown hearts, and they're very upset about it. I think that's like the Reservoir I, Dogs thing. happy with, about it. It's like the Reservoir um, Dogs thing where uh, Quentin Tarantino didn't want to be Mr. Brown. That's like Mr. Shit. Um. There is an aspect of Paris. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because right now it certainly benefits. I mean, you and I, you have um, what, you know, hundreds of 200,000 followers, 300,000 followers. I have 20,000 or something like that. And so we immediately have like an audience when we launch Periscope. I ended up getting like 350 when when, when I was just doing it. Um, what will be interesting, and you can see with the disaster thing or celebrities using it for sure. Um, What's interesting about that is I think the most interesting part is is getting the people to log on to watch that. I'm very interested to see what use this ends up having for kind of normal people, like people who have 50 followers or 100 followers, like what ends up being compelling for them, um, if anything. Or maybe it's just going to be they're just going to be observers and watchers for the most part. So this is so meta. So the people who are watching on Periscope uh, – <laughs> Don't hear your side. And you're, the whole point that Ben just made that only I can hear here in my headphones is that it's going to be interesting to see <laughs> what, the, what the use case for this really is. Is that fair? That's a fair summary. Right. And I do Especially think, for normal people without a lot of followers. Even though there's, there's 1,300 people watching right now, I do think that w the answer to that is not going to be watching one side of a podcast. <laughs> I think if I could somehow patch through your audio, this would be interesting. Um, you know, because some people do like listening along to live episodes of shows. But, uh, yeah, one side is definitely not enough. So hello to everybody out there. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this because I don't think this is very compelling. All right. So um, swipe down to stop. All right. Adios, everybody. Thank you. Maybe I'll do more of these later. What's 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 unfortunate is it was probably it's rough to watch because you only hear one side. It's gonna be really rough to listen to because we're gonna just be kind of stumbling all over the place. I probably have to delete this. It's probably because it probably uh, has. Uh, uh, 
What do you call it? I, I, isn't there some kind of thing where the location is on by default? Yeah. I think I probably, yeah. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I think I have mine disabled. I don't know if I did or not. How do I know? I have no idea. Uh, let me see. Or let me look at my Periscope and see if your stream's there. Did you? Oh, well, maybe not, though, because it seems like. No, it seems like location sharing was off. I just, yeah, I think it was off. I heard some, maybe that was Meerkat. I don't know. Or maybe they changed it in an update to the app. But I didn't do anything. I forgot I forgot to even check. But now that I try to do a new broadcast, the location indicator defaults to off. So I think it's actually pretty good. I wouldn't mind if, if there was a setting that let you do it and it was uh, just broad. Like it just told you what city I was in. I don't want my yeah, that, that was another update that they're going to do. Is yeah. they're make, making the location less exact. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, I don't know. Do you see my thing? I don't see where it even went. How do I access my, my videos? Well, anyway, this doesn't make for a good show, but um, I'll check it out after the show. Uh, what else? Anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no, we're we're two and a half hours in, yeah. and the last I think the last thirty minutes got pretty choppy. So yeah, no, that's probably pretty. That's a good way to end it. All right, who do you like in the NCAA tournament? Uh, well, with my heart or with my head? Well, give me both picks. Well, obviously Wisconsin for both. All right. Uh, no, I mean, I with Kentucky, it's obviously... Did you go to difficult. University of Wisconsin? Yes, I did. Wow. So it's not just that you're... I knew you, you were there. I didn't know if you were if you were just local or if you actually went to the school. Well, that's terribly exciting. Yes. And so... Uh, Do you like their chances? Walk, I, I, think, I think we have a decent chance. I mean, I think the, the great thing about this team is, um, one, I mean, they made it last year. So, I mean, and they lost Kentucky on a last second shot. Um, so... Uh, like this team doesn't get frazzled. Like they, they just like Arizona, like punched him in the mouth in the first half of that game last week. And it looked really bad, but it's one of those teams you watch them and you're never worried because you know, they're going to like get it together and they're going to respond. And um, I think that's, that's a good thing going against, you know, this undefeated juggernaut super team that they're not going to be intimidated. And they have a couple guys that are real matchup problems. I think, I think Kaminsky, the, you know, Player of the year, biggest player of the year, probably national player of the year. I think he's going to struggle, frankly. Um, the Kali Stein uh, on Kentucky is is probably a perfect matchup for him. Um, but I think you know Decker at the small forward spot uh, definitely has the potential to be a matchup issue. And yeah, I think if any team can beat Kentucky, it's Wisconsin. I think Kentucky should be favored, but I I, I like her chances. Yeah, what's the spread? Do you have you looked at the spread? Uh, I haven't. No. Uh, I thought last week's weekend was an absolutely great weekend of college basketball. And there were so many crazy tight games. But almost every one came down to which, to me, which team kept their shit together down the stretch. Yep. Um, I mean, poor Gonzaga. I was rooting for him. I hate Duke. So I was rooting for Gonzaga. But they didn't score a point in the last six and a half minutes, which is atrocious. You know, I mean, that's I mean, how can you win a basketball game, a tight basketball game where you don't score in the last six minutes? I mean, you know, Duke plays good defense, but man, that was bad. And they took some bad shots. Uh, and I thought with Louisville, who played. Um, wait, who did Louisville? Michigan State? Yeah, Michigan State. Uh, oh, my God. The guys on the foul line looked like they were ready to die. And and the <laughs> it was like the clang of the ball hitting the hoop. It was like ear splitting. I mean, those were right. some. Horrible. And then horrible. Oh, Notre Dame then too. Yeah. Another one. I mean, just like slicing them apart and then the last the last two minutes just like degenerating into pounding the ball at the top yeah. of the key. 
Um, yeah, there was a guy, I forget his name, I don't remember their names, but there was a guy with like, uh, in the last minute, and Louisville was still in it, and a guard came down, and they had all the time in the world, down by one, and a guard forced up a bad shot, and I thought Rick Pitino was, <laughs> I thought he was going to have an aneurysm. It was <laughs> like, he he put up a shot that was like, you've only, if you've only got six seconds to go, you know, coast to coast, all right. You know, it wasn't maybe he could have gotten a better shot, but you can't blame him. You, you only had six shots, six seconds. This was like forty seconds to go, and or maybe a minute or so. You know, but it was it was outside the. You know, you couldn't run the shot clock all the way down, but you you had all the time you needed to get a good shot and run a play. And this guy came down and just forced up a shot, and it, you know, which to me is like a telltale sign of a team that cracked under pressure. Yeah, no, I, for sure. So I don't uh, think. I think I think you're right. I I like Wisconsin's chances. I mean, let's face it, Kentucky's the best team, and I think that you know it, they're going to be tough to beat. But I think Wisconsin can do it because they've got the size. My my hope is that we either see, and I hate to say this because God Almighty, I hate Duke, but I feel like the two most interesting final matchups would be the All Big Ten matchup of Michigan State versus Wisconsin, or like, one of the most underrated like rivalries in the country. Like it's right. it's pretty intense and, and has been for. 10, 15 years now. And, and you know, what a what a feather in the cap to the Big Ten. Uh, or Kentucky versus Duke. And I hate, I don't like either Kentucky or Duke, but, I mean, let's face it, they're probably, you know, they're, they're two, you know, top tier, you know, that would be the killer. Those would be the two killer championships to me. But anyway, Although it's a good I, final Wisconsin game. Duke, and Wisconsin Duke did play this year, actually. Uh, Duke won, but it was a great game. Yeah. So it wouldn't be a bad consolation prize. Uh, by the way, the Kentucky opened as a six-point favorite, but it's moved to five. Hmm. So they are five point favorites right yeah. now. Right. Well, anyway, I'll be rooting for Wisconsin. I love the underdog, and uh, either was yeah, I could I would root for either Wisconsin or Michigan State. Anybody but Duke or Kentucky, for God's sake. Uh, ben Thompson, thank you for your time. For anybody who doesn't know, Ben is over in Taipei, and he's on exactly twelve hours difference from the East Coast U.S. So it is two twenty in the morning in Taipei, and Ben is a very busy man uh, running Stratechery. Very right. good. Uh, stratechery.com, uh, which is a fantastic site, and he's killing it on a daily basis with his newsletter for members. It is some of the best and smartest money you could ever spend to stay informed about all the stuff we're talking about um, and more on a daily basis. I mean, I don't know how many words you're putting out a week, but it is impressive. Um, really, really. I mean, it, I mean, do you have secretly have somebody working for you? <laughs> no, it's it's all me. Like, I have my my secret ability is to write uh, really fast and hopefully mostly cogently. So yeah, wow. it's about ten to eleven thousand words a week. It's I see. It's one of those things that I appreciate. That's a lot. Wow, that is great though. I mean, I appreciate it on two levels. Is on one level, I appreciate just reading it, and then the the professional level, I'm like, holy shit, he's putting out a lot of words. I I better start writing more. So anyway, thanks. Go check go check your stuff out at strategery.com. And your Twitter account is Monkbent, M-O-N-K-B-E-N-T. And that's uh definitely worth a follow as well. So my thanks to you. Anything else you want to plug? Uh exponent.fm. That's, that's yes. the podcast I do with James Oliver. Yes, of course. Duh. Uh so check that out. That is uh also worth listening to. So if you enjoyed uh Ben's uh what's the sultry what's the word for your voice? Uh <laughs> I'll call it sultry. Your sultry tones, dulcet tones, the dulcet, dulcet tones, tones yes. of Ben's voice and his insight. Uh, definitely check that out too. So my thanks to you. Uh, go to go to sleep. Get some sleep. Sounds good. Thanks, Ben.